What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Picasad Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek and Riv. And this is now episode 81. In this episode, we will give an update on Deshaun Watson's situation The Carolina Panthers trading for Sam Darnold, our thoughts on Paul Pierce being fired, ESPN's top 10 under 25 list, and if we're worried about the Brooklyn Nets injuries. We will then talk about the Chicago Bulls future, Alexis Pokazewski, the Denver Nuggets win streak, if the duo of Kristaps Porzingis and Luka Doncic will work, and if we believe the Phoenix Suns are legitimate contenders. And guys, right now we are at... 23 reviews on apple podcast so if you guys want to try and get that number up to 30 you guys rate it and review it we're going to read it on the podcast and put it on our instagrams and also you can donate to us on patreon.com slash pick podcast we don't like to use any sponsors here we've gotten offers for sponsors in the past but we don't want to be hell bent with sponsors so if you guys could donate to us that would mean a lot and big news We just found out about this new app called Locker Room. Uh, Somebody commented in one of our videos that we should use a Locker Room app because it is a good way to communicate with you guys. So because of that, we all made accounts. Rivers is Rivers0146. I'm guessing that's his birthday, April 16th. His (laughs) birthday is coming soon. Mine is at Joel V. Moran and Jax is at Jack Bartek. So because we're going to be on the Locker Room app, we are going to set a dedicated time once a week to go live and chat with you guys in a chat room. We are not sure when that's going to be, but if you guys want to shoot us a follow on there and we can communicate and interact with you guys on that app. And I think that might be a little bit better than taking in callers on the show because if we go on the locker room app, we could just talk to them directly there. It doesn't have to be any callers or nothing like that. That's really my username. Yes. <laughs> I did not, you made it. I didn't I thought I put River Brown. Wow, okay. All right. Damn. I didn't know that you uh don't know I mean you they usually tell you your username. I mean you usually get to put it in. I didn't know I did that though. Damn. Yeah, so you know if you guys want download locker room app, we are going to be on there. But this show is gonna be a really great show. We have a lot of topics. We're probably only gonna record once a week moving forward until the semester ends because right now I'm getting like, I don't know about you guys, but right now it's like the second half of the semester, a bunch of schoolwork is getting piled on us. So we probably only have enough time to do one show a week. Then we're probably going to pick that back up that two show a week, uh, two show a week format during the summer. So yeah, I know that Riv, you're going to Vegas in a week, right? Yeah. My birthday. (laughs) Okay, so you're not going to be here for your birthday on the podcast. Nah. You're going to be in Vegas. Yeah, I'll be in Vegas. And the timing is differently, so I think you guys will be doing this, but I'll be, like, in the middle of the day. Yeah, it's, like, three hours. Central time, right? So, yeah, yeah, there's three three hours. Yeah, so I'll be out and about. (laughs) Okay, so hopefully you have fun there. I know people will (laughs) shout you out on your birthday, especially some of the supporters. So on to the first topic of the episode. We're going to give an update on the Deshaun Watson situation. Last week, a Sports Illustrated article came out on Deshaun Watson 
it was an unnamed woman. She used the pseudonym of Mary to uh, get her point across throughout the article and some pretty graphic stuff. If it, if it is in fact true. And after the article came out, um, that makes it now 22 women that have filed lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. But what we did not mention on last week's podcast is that 18 massage therapists have come out and defended Deshaun Watson. So that makes it a total of 40 massage therapists that Deshaun Watson has encountered during this entire time frame. So some of the new breaking news that came out on the Deshaun Watson situation is that two massage therapists that are accusing Deshaun Watson of sexual misconduct have revealed their identities. And on a news conference on this past Tuesday, uh, this is what happened. Her name was Ashley Solis. Uh, she re- she revealed herself. She was in a press conference that Tony Busby held. And she said, quote, several times Watson specifically kept trying to direct his, her to his penis. At one point, he purposely exposed the tip of his penis from under the towel. Watson was at this point fully erect and moved his body so he could expose himself more. The lawsuit states, as a result of moving his hips, Watson purposely touched Plantiff's hand with the top of his erect penis. Solis also said in Tuesday's statement that she has panic attacks, anxiety, and depression after the encounter and is now counseling. I hope he knows how much pain he has inflicted on me emotionally and physically, Solis told reporters. Busby says Solis has made a statement to the police. Then... Deshaun Watson's lawyer, Rusty Harden, responded to that statement and said that at a press conference today, attorney Anthony Busby introduced the first plaintiff to the media. She identified herself as Ashley Solis. In her remarks, Miss Solis stated, people say that I'm doing this just for money. That is false. And in fact, Rusty Harden also released a statement claiming that Tony Busby sobbed out $100,000 in hush money to quietly settle the allegations one month before Tony Busby filed the first lawsuit. So in her press conference, she said that she's not looking to get money, but one month before the first lawsuit was filed, they did seek out a hundred thousand dollars in hush money. It's a mess of a situation. And it just seems like, you know, at first you were kind of skeptical just because of the timing of it, or at least I know I was a little skeptical just because of the timing of it and, you know, obviously, Tony Busby is not the most uh, reputable lawyer based on stuff that's come out about him. But the more information that's come out, the more damning it's looked for Deshaun Watson. I mean, I thought that the SI article was the part for me that was really hurtful to his case just because SI has no hand in this either one way or the other. I mean, there was no reason for them to publish that article if it wasn't true. And now you're getting to hear these words and hear victims come out. And, you know, when you watch somebody talk about it and you can hear the emotion in their voice, it's definitely different than reading anonymous names on a piece of paper. And so seeing these two women speak up, you know, it's definitely hurt his case, I would say. Listen, I... (laughs) It's really a weird, like, like Jack said, it's really a weird situation. Like, I don't, I don't know, like, I want to believe him, but, but, you know, with the amount of people that came out and spoke with him, my cases that it's been, it's really hard to take his side. I still don't think he did anything to warrant him, like, any jail time, but I think for 
his character. This is kind of like really a disgusting thing. I like, I like, I don't, I don't even know where to go with this. This is like really bad for the community, especially like the black community. Like, it looks crazy. And, and the craziest part is, Deshaun Watson was always thought to be this great guy. Like, Solid. there was never a bad word about him his you know, entire career. You know what's the thing though is that the hush money, it's that crazy. part of it, makes makes the entire lawsuits as bad as it sounds it makes them not credible at this point because they sought out a hundred thousand dollars in hush money mm. the only thing that i think is weird in the entire situation is not only the deshaun watson you know m- sexual misconduct and the stories that have been published but he has 22 lawsuits filed against him and then he has 18 other massage therapists who have come out in support of deshaun so 22 say yeah he's a bad guy 18 are saying, no, my experience with him was fine. Then again, they could have gotten paid too, but we don't know the details of that. But But I will say what's weird about it is that Deshaun Watson has 40 different massage therapists. (laughs) I don't think that anybody needs 40 different massage therapists. And if he's not a, if he's not a predator in terms of uh, sexually assaulting massage therapists, he's definitely a serial massage therapist in terms of how many, He does, in fact, seek. But the thing about it is that it's a tough situation because if Deshaun Watson and Rusty Harden took the settlement of $100,000 and paid these women hush money, that's basically admitting guilt. That's basically saying, yes, I did it, but I don't want you to say anything, so I'm going to pay you this money. Mm -hmm. But both situations would have created a circus. Tony Busby, after Rusty Harden released his statement saying that they did, in fact, seek hush money, he said that it's old news that we attempted to settle this matter. And basically, he said that Deshaun Watson's team has made this into an entire circus. But making this making this situation visible to the public eye has ruined Deshaun Watson's image, reputation. Uh, Beats by Dre has canceled its endorsement deal with him. Nike has yeah. suspended their endorsement deal with Deshaun Watson. So I would say... Deshaun Watson was losing more by going through the process than he would have lost with the hush money. Then again, the hush money is kind of a short-term solution. You're putting you're putting a band-aid over a wound that in, you know, if these women do decide not to go with that or one day they decide they want to tell their story to the world, you basically pay these women out in hush money, but they can still say whatever they want. It doesn't disappear. Yeah. I feel like the timing is still a little weird to me though, because a lot of they said a lot of these things happened last year, right? Yes. Like he did, and, and then all of a sudden, when he wants to leave Houston, it seems like now everybody's starting to come out. It's just the the timing doesn't sound right. I mean, like I feel like you said he doesn't he doesn't need forty different. Well, I mean, you know, he probably travels. So he gets a new therapist. Most of them are in Houston. Yeah, that's a, that's oh a wow! Weird See, part. then nah, I don't. It's like <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with him. You you find a barber. It does a good job. You, you don't go to forty. Yeah, you don't go to forty you know different saying? barbers. Like, that, that is that's a sketchy part of this. Like you find a massage, especially you're an NFL player. Like your team is providing you with massage therapists, the best of the best, like the best that you can get. The NFL teams are going to provide that for you. So that is definitely something that makes you, you know, look at it sideways. Yeah, it's definitely a tricky situation. But at this point, you know, I don't know what side to believe. Obviously, it is sketchy that uh. Deshaun Watson has these many massage therapists and these this many women 
have come out. Any stories is weird. Yes, the stories are also very off-putting. But the thing about it is that we really don't know what happened yet. And the thing is, this whole situation is very cloudy. And I think what has made it even more cloudy is that they asked for hush money. You know, I think that Tony Busby has done a disservice to the women because for asking for hush money one month before um, filing the first lawsuit, it really ruins your credibility. And another thing that ruins the credibility, like this, this case is going to come down to he said, she said, right? It's going to be Deshaun Watson's word and the 18 massage therapists who say that he was great versus the 22 other women that said, no, he, he sexually assaulted me. I felt very awkward around him. The problem with that is that for one, it's like, it's their word against yours. And when these women come out, the, the main word is credibility. They waited a year mm. before filing their first lawsuit. So when you wait a year, an entire year to go do something, you do lose credibility, especially in a case like this. When, okay, you know, because when it first happened, if they filed the lawsuit at that point, it would have been fine, even a police report. But they did not file a lawsuit nor a police report. It happened one year later. But do you think if one person would have did it, they would have believed her? Probably not, because this case is always going to be his word versus my word, right? It's always going to be that way. The evidence in this case it are Deshaun Watson's Instagram DMs to these women. But if the DMs aren't anything yeah, that incriminate him... It doesn't really prove anything. Yes, the DMs can be so broad. It can be congrats on your business. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, can I book an appointment? Oh, I can't wait to, you know, have our appointment. That's not anything that incriminates him. Yeah. You know, so as long as those DMs didn't incriminate him, this is going to come down to Deshaun Watson's words plus these other massage therapists versus the women that are accusing him. Yeah, and, and I don't think that it's going to become anything criminal because from what I've read, I don't think that there is enough evidence to push it to a criminal trial or at least one that any of those massage therapists would win. But I get the sense now that there is at least some truth to everything that's been coming out, and I don't think it's something that Deshaun Watson and his image will ever recover from. Well, he, I mean, he's great at playing football, so he probably will get another job in, in the NFL because that's just a sad reality. Like, there are guys that have done worse things and have gotten jobs in the NFL. Big Ben. Because that's, you know, that's the sport. And AP these owners breaks off his kid. These owners want to make money at the end of the day, you know, no matter what you think of that. But I don't think his image will ever recover from this. I, don't, I, mean, I, I wasn't. I mean, sorry to cut you off. Go. Uh, did Ray Rice get a job after he beat no, that? That's, no, I think no, it really no, just depends on who you are. Kareem Not Hunt even got that. A job I, after a similar incident. I think it depends on uh, on how bad the situation was. Tyreek Hill got his job back, but I think he went to court and won the case. Yeah. Mm. So that's a little bit different. But I was too young to know what was happening during the time that Big Ben was accused of what he was accused for. I know that a lot of people still use jokes about Big Ben and yeah. how creepy his situation was. And he's been playing for the in the NFL for the longest because he was a star quarterback. Deshaun Watson is a star quarterback. And another thing that's getting swept under, under the rug in this case is that it's Tony Busby versus Rusty Harden. That's like... Patrick Mahomes of lawyers versus versus uh, Matt Schaub. 
like Tony's Busby's Matt Schaub and Rusty Harden is Mahomes. Well, that was one of the first things like when when it came out, everybody had said about Tony Busby how his credibility was not mm-hmm. the greatest. So that was why I was skeptical at first. But it's just the more and more this come out. Like the to me, the SI article was the one that was like really eye opening for me in a sense of like they had no reason to publish that if there was not. If they couldn't confirm the stuff that was being said in it, there was no reason for them to post that because SI is, you know, it's the best of the best. It's the best in the business. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to ruin Deshaun Watson's reputation, though. You know, I think for a little bit, for a short while, he's definitely going to look at him. Yes, people are going to look at him sideways. The memes are always going to be there. But in terms of him going into a football locker room, I don't think many people are going to care. And I, I think that's a sad yeah. reality of it, but I don't think people are really going to yeah, maybe, put too much mind yeah, into Maybe that. not in the football locker room, but just like as a as a person, this is going to follow him forever. You look at Michael Vick, what he did was terrible, but when he got out of jail, he did everything he possibly could to correct his wrongs. He went around the country and spoke about the, the negative effects of dogfighting and, and spoke out publicly against it. He did everything he possibly could. He served his time, and still to this day, he gets that brought up. No matter what he does, so I think that this is going to be a situation like that. Where Shout it's out just to Mike like, Vick. You know, it's just a a stain on his on his life, really, and it should be. If if any of it's true, it one hundred percent should be. Yeah. So we'll we'll keep you guys updated if new information surfaces within the Deshaun Watson case and these allegations. The latest are that the two women that filed the lawsuit came out, revealed their identity, and they and and Tony Busby's held press conference on Tuesday and detailed the situation that happened with Deshaun Watson. Oh, on to the next subject. Uh, another another uh, incrimination happened. Vikings cornerback Jeff Gladney, first-round pick last year, he was a 31st pick in the draft, turned himself into the police. Mm. And the reason for it is because he uh, allegedly assaulted his girlfriend. And... A warrant was issued for him. He, the charge is a third-degree uh, felony family violence assault, and he posted a $10,000 bond. And if he is convicted, he is going to face 2 to 10 years in jail. And the woman that was in a relationship with Jeff Gladney said that they got into an altercation because Jeff Gladney asked to see the messages in her phone, and she threw the phone out the window so he couldn't see it, and he stopped the car, went out, and got the phone. And he also hit her. He open hand hit her on, on her face. Uh, he pulled her hair. He was like trying to shove her face, trying to get the face ID to, to work so he could see the messages. This allegedly, you know, this is what it, this would details. And then Gladney began to strike her in the rims, ribs, back and stomach and hit her open hand on the face. And she also said Gladney began to strangle her, but she was able to break free and escape the Vikings have released a statement on this situation and said that uh, they take the matter very seriously and the reported allegations are very disturbing, but at this time they have no further comment. So they have not made a decision whether to cut him uh, for the time being. He is going to be kept and see what happens, but he did turn himself into jail right now. He is in jail. It's really disgusting stuff. Like if you read the, the I guess the statement that was given so far, uh, it, it's really hard to like to imagine anybody doing that. Like I can't even fathom it. And if it is true, he deserves to rot in jail. And I I just hope it's not true. 
I really hope it's not true because it's it's hard to believe that somebody could lose control of themselves in that matter. It's pretty crazy because it seems like these cornerbacks are starting to uh, go to jail. Last year, DeAndre Baker, two years ago, 30th pick in the first round, he was charged on robbery charges, got cut by the Giants, and then this year is Jeff Gladney, but obviously you stated it. I mean, this is disgusting stuff. This is really disgusting stuff. And if it is indeed true, he should go to jail. And it's pretty wild that somebody can lose control like that. But then again, we know that football is a sport where you could lose control very easily because there is that risk of CTE. And everything negative a football player does is always going to get associated with CTE. But obviously, this is very bad. It's very bad for him because he basically threw his career away over a... uh, irrational response to a situation. I just like, this is just, this is a bad situation. I think this is, this goes bigger than football. You know, this happens all around the world, men beating on women. And I think this is something he should definitely go to jail. If in fact it is true, his football career should be over. I just don't see how he gets to that anger where he has to beat her down because she won't let him see his phone. Obviously she must've did something in the cheating aspect where he's trying to get the phone, but it's still, it's no excuse for hitting a woman. You should, in my opinion, you should never put your hands on a woman regardless of the situation. He didn't have any, any real meaning to hit her and he should definitely go to jail. But this is like, this is a situation that really expands farther into the world. Like it's deeper than football. This happens regular, like in regular day lives in the streets, everywhere, no matter the situation. So I think this is, this really indicates how bad it is no matter where it is, honestly. Yeah, and, and the thing about it is, like, I, I actually spoke to a couple of people about this, and he could go to jail for 10 years. She could get paid whatever settlement money there is for her to make. Like, that's stuff that, if it happens to you, like, that never goes away. Like, that will always be a mental scar. No matter how much you're paid, no matter how many years go by, like, that's something that will always stick with you. And it's just really, like, messed up stuff to Imagine that being, like, your sister or something. Yeah, it's traumatizing for women that are involved because now in any relationship that she's in, she feels like that is going to be the response. Of course, this is allegedly to happen, and this is the story. So, But, yeah, I mean, if he did it, he should go to jail. But this this is a really horrible situation, and not only for him but for the Vikings, too, to take a player so high on the draft and for him to do something like this you always hate to hate, you always hate to waste a draft pick on a player, and right now it seems like Jeff Gladney is trending in that direction. You know, in terms of the Vikings side of things, now the Mackenzie Alexander signing is looking that much better. Mm. Getting a cornerback, they signed Patrick Peterson and Mackenzie Alexander. Mike Hughes is coming back, and Jeff Gladney wasn't even the best rookie corner on their team. It was Cameron Dantzler. So even if they don't have Jeff Gladney on the team, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, I'm I don't sure think they need him. After his rookie year, I don't think it, if any of this is true, I don't think they'll think twice about cutting him. Yeah, one, he's not he hasn't earned himself. He hasn't earned his name in the NFL yet to be able to bounce back from something like this. Yeah. Like we've seen players do before, which <laughs> is not right, but he for a rookie there's no way and he wasn't good either. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> crazy like talking about the NFL how many stories like this come up. And it makes you wonder about like the the research on CTE and all of that and how much of an effect it really does have starting from because he was a rookie, Jeff Gladney. So 
you know, is this something that's affecting kids as young as high school, college age? They say it does. You know, how much of an impact does it have? And I think it's going to be really interesting to see over the years how much more research is done and how much more comes out about it because it does seem to be disproportionately in the NFL you hear more about it than any other sport. And there, it's still in all sports. There's no question about it. But it does feel at least like it happens more in the NFL than any other sport. Yeah, they say it starts as soon as you play football and you have like a way bigger chance to get it. The problem with CT is that you can't, you don't know if you have it until yeah. you're dead. Yeah. Hey, and they examine real? your brain. Yeah. So there's no way to really tell. And that's why a lot of football players nowadays are worried about if they do have it or not. You know, older players talk about it all the time. If you guys watch the podcast, I'm athlete with Brendan Marshall, Fred Taylor, uh, Shannon Crowder, and Ocho Cinco. Like, one episode they talked about CTE, and they, you know, they all wonder if they have it or not. They wonder if, if when they have bad days, this is because they're just having a bad day because they're human or because they have CTE. Like, I can imagine just being a football player dealing with those type of thoughts, dealing with whenever you get a little bit angry, you feel like, it might not be you that's in full control of yourself mm. and it might just, it might not be your human emotions, but it might be CTE kicking in. I think a lot of football players deal with that thought. Yeah. It, it's, it's scary stuff. And it does make you wonder what is the answer for the NFL? Like, how do you, how do you, what, is there any solution? Is there any way to fix this or is it just the game? And, Dr. O'Malley said there's no know, way to fix it. So it's just, it, is, it just is the game, the nature of the game. It's just, not a, not humane for that to yeah. happen, for people to run yeah. into each other at full speed and hit each other. And you wonder, like, it's obviously the most popular American sport. You wonder if in the coming years, the coming decades, the numbers are going to start taking a hit as more and more comes out about it because you see how bad it is for, for your brain. You know, you have to wonder how many parents aren't going to want to put their kids in pads and send them to football practice knowing that this is a possibility. And with... The one, the one game added to the schedule. Yeah. You know, knowing this is a thing, they added a game to the schedule. But All now, they care about is their paycheck at the end of the day. Now on to NFL news. Boom. One of the only NFL news that has happened this week, it was Sam Donald getting traded to the Carolina Panthers. The Jets received the sixth-round pick in this year's draft, a second-rounder and a fourth-rounder in 2022. In the Panthers received Sam Darnold. So I have two questions for you guys. One, is this the perfect situation for Sam Darnold to succeed? And two, is he an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater? I think that's a fair question to ask. Yes, I do believe this is the perfect situation for Sam Darnold. Looking at the offense, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. I know they lost Curtis Samuel, but they got Christian McCaffrey in the background. So I think this is, and they still have a good old line. I think this is definitely the perfect situation for Carolina. I mean, for Sam Darnold, I think this is an up-and-coming young offense that can make some noise. Do I think he's better than Teddy Bridgewater? No, I think last year, even with the Saints, you saw him performing well without Drew Brees. You know, you saw him step in and the Saints ain't miss a beat with Carolina. You saw a team that wasn't, you know, they wasn't as good, but they definitely competed in a lot of games that they could have won. And they were a solid team last year. And I think in Teddy Bridgewater, he didn't play bad. You know, he played as good as he could have played. And I think he's an okay quarterback at this moment. But Sam Darnold hasn't shown us anything for us to consider him being better than Teddy Bridgewater at this point. Granted, he hasn't had the weapons Teddy Bridgewater has had, but he's he hasn't shown that he's better than Teddy Bridgewater at this moment. 
Yeah, I don't know if there was a better spot for Sam Darnold to land in. Maybe the 49ers would have been a better situation for him. I think that would have been the best situation. But outside of that, I don't know that there were many better situations around the league. I wasn't even sure if he would get a starting job next year in the NFL. And now it looks like he's a shoe-in for the Panthers starting job next season. And you look at you know their construction. They had the 18th ranked offensive line in the league last year, according to PFF. So it's a, it's a middle-of-the-pack offensive line, which is a big upgrade over what the Jets have given him over his entire tenure. I think the receiving core is better than what he's had to work with for most of his time with the Jets, at least. And Christian McCaffrey, who is such a dynamic playmaker, he would make anybody's lives easier in the backfield. So, you know, And, and I like Matt Rule. I like what he's doing in Carolina. So I obviously, that's an improvement over Adam Gase. So this is a great situation for Sam Darnold to succeed. I don't think there's any excuses this year. This is like a last chance prove it year for him. And you asked the question about him or Teddy Bridgewater. I think that the floor is much lower for Sam Darnold, but I do think the ceiling for Sam Darnold is much higher. Okay. You look at his tape with the Jets, he made some plays that wowed you, but he made just as many plays that you did a double take and said, what What was he seeing on that play? Like He made some horrible throws as a Jet, and that had nothing to do with his offensive line, nothing to do with his receivers or his coaching. He just made some terrible decisions. I think that it was a safe bet for the Panthers. Like I don't think this was a bad move at all. And I, I was reading about it. The Jets said they would have felt comfortable moving forward with him had it not been for finding Zach Wilson at two, who they feel very good about. You know, they, they said that they would have felt very good about moving forward with Sam Darnold in that system. So I definitely think he has another chapter of his career. You know, I think he could put the Jets situation behind him. He's still one of the youngest starting quarterbacks in the league going into next year. So it's essentially like drafting a quarterback. And if you're the Panthers, you ask yourself, you know, where does he stack up amongst Justin Fields, maybe Mac Jones, Trey Lance? Because outside of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, you know, from there, it's all question marks. You don't know who the Niners are going to take at three, but a quarterback is going to be off the board there. So the pickings would have been slim at eight. And I don't think this is a bad move for the Panthers. I think they needed a quarterback, and they're building a solid team around him, now Sam Darnold. So this is a good situation for him to succeed, and you know it's make-or-break time for Darnold. The Carolina Panthers have Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie DJ Anderson, Moore, and you mentioned an okay offensive line. If Sam Darnold does not succeed in Carolina, he is a bust. No doubt about <laughs> it. That's it. You know, what do I think Sam Donald is going to be? I think he's going to be an okay guy. I don't see him lighting the world on fire. I don't see Carolina winning a bunch of games because Tampa will be better. And I'm counting on the Saints to be better than them as well. Even if they have Winston or Taysom Hill starting, the Saints still have a very great roster. Atlanta and them, it's going to be a fight for who's going to finish last because I don't know about Atlanta. I like the Arthur Smith hire, but we still have to wait and see. And who's going to be their quarterback? The thing about it is that Matt Rule, excellent college coach. We still don't know how he's going to do in the pros. Joe Brady has had great offenses in the past, but at LSU, we can all say that he had a phenomenal team. Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson – uh, it, I mean, it's really hard it to Al- not succeed. Really. It's really hard to not <clears throat> succeed with that type of talent. Now in the NFL, when you're going up against really great defensive coordinators week in and week out, how are you going to fare? And also, can you develop a quarterback? 
and Sam Darnold. And the thing about me is that, you know, the question of is he an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I, I think what you said is right. Darnold's ceiling is higher, but his floor is so much worse. Teddy Bridgewater, you know what he's going to give you. Sam Darnold, you don't know what he's going to give you. And their careers to this point have been polar opposites. Bridgewater drafted by the Vikings. Great defense, great running game, good weapons. People heralded him as the next really good quarterback early on, even though he never did much. And Sam Darnold's situation, he had to carry a franchise. And now the truth is coming out about Teddy Bridgewater that he's just a guy. And Sam Darnold is still a wait and see. But Sam Darnold got drafted to New York when we got Teddy Bridgewater. Darnold took his job. And now he's going to Carolina and taking his job again. Mm. So Teddy Bridgewater does not feel good about the situation, but if Donald does not succeed in Carolina, he is a bust. That's 100% correct. I don't think there's a next chapter for Donald outside of being a backup. If he doesn't succeed in Carolina and proves himself as a starter. And also fun fact, because I am a stalker and I am a NFL enthusiast, Robbie Anderson, I went on his account because you know Robbie's always hyping up Sam. You know, when, on our time when we were when we're Jets fans, when he was a Jet, he was always hyping up Sam. Since the move happened, no word from Robbie. <laughs> yeah. No tweet, no light tweets. Mm-hmm. So he's probably thinking, ah, oh, now and I'm not going to get 1,000 yards receiving. If I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll, I'll try and look it up now because it was just you saying that that made me think of it. Did he not say at one point last season that him and Sam Darnold never were on the same page? Or something like that. I don't remember if he did or if he didn't, but makes sense. Robbie Anderson has not liked any tweets about Sam Donald going to Carolina. He's probably thinking in the back of his head, okay, now I'm going to go back to being an unknown receiver mm. because Donald is not a good quarterback. You know, these receivers know if these guys can play or not. And Robbie's probably thinking to himself, man, I don't know if I'm going to do good or not with Sam under center. Not to mention Robbie. I mean, DJ Moore is just coming off another 1K season. So, you know, him jumping into that situation, he's already comfortable with Teddy Bridgewater. You know, last year, him and Robbie Anderson, I think Robbie had about eight now. I think he was short of 1K, or he might have just got 1K. But both guys had really great seasons for them. And I think with Darnold coming in, you know, now they have to adjust to a new quarterback who has shown the ability to make mistakes, underthrow his receivers, put his receivers already in bad situations. I I remember, like, I was at that Bills-Jets game when Darnold – well, he threw it to Robbie. Robbie almost got his head taken off because he underthrew him. It was really bad. The thing about it is that Josh Allen, whenever whenever a quarterback doesn't do good in their first couple of seasons, the example is always Josh Allen. The thing about Josh Allen is that even though he didn't do great his first two seasons, you saw the flashes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could see the ball jump out of his hand. He had a great arm power. You knew, okay, he has some untapped potential there. But Sam Darnold... The ball doesn't come out of his hand the same way. It's he, just not the same. He's definitely made a few of those eye-popping plays, but not nearly as many as you saw out of Josh Allen. Even even last year, week one, when we blew the 16-point lead to the Bills, that was the, Jets, comedy. the Jets had had a lead. Yeah, But if you remember correctly, that entire game, we could not move the ball on offense. Yeah, Even though the Bills were not scoring, they defense. were moving the ball on offense. Josh Allen was making plays. And the thing about that is I think, you know, Donald has got heralded as his playmaker, but I think Josh Allen was always that playmaker. And in hindsight, it's 2020, and now we know what is true, what is false. But if Donald doesn't, doesn't succeed in Carolina, man, man, third overall pick. 
Bust. I could I could see him being like one of those middle of the pack quarterbacks, like around the the fifteen range in the league. I don't know how much better he'll be than that, but I think this is a good situation for him. Wait, to are you really, saying that's like his ceiling? Fifteen, like that's what I could see him like realistically being. Is Sam Donald just a quarterback? Is, is Sam Donald Josh Rosen with just better opportunities, with more of an opportunity to play? I feel like Josh. I, I, I think I, he's a little bit better. Than I've Josh never. Rosen. I really didn't watch Josh Rosen. So I can't answer that. I watched him his rookie year. Honestly, I don't think any quarterback would have been successful in that situation. Well, did you see the flashes though? That's really the key. I didn't see any flashes. That's oh, okay, that, that's, that's what it is. That's like, like at least Sam Darnold has shown me a few. But things this is the over thing. The this is the seasons. thing with, with Josh Rosen. The Cardinals had the first pick. That's why they moved on from him. If yeah. they did not have the first pick, they were going to stay with Rosen. Yeah. But don't you think if he was shown Jets, some flashes, though, he would have stayed? Nah, because Kyler was there. Kyler was just, you couldn't pass up on him. Yeah. The Jets never had a high pick, but the chance they did get a high pick to, to draft the quarterback, they're they're dumping Darnold. You know? Yeah, but I, I will say I do think if they didn't have the second overall pick, I think they would have kept going with Sam. Like, I think if they had the you eighth think overall last year, pick. Last year, if the Jets finished with a top five pick, they wouldn't have picked Tua? Or Herbert. I think that's a different story. But I think this year, if they didn't have the number two pick, I think they would have kept moving forward with them. Like, if they had the eighth pick this year, I think they would have moved forward with them. So, just a quick question. Who do you, I know who you think Carolina's going to take. Who do you think Carolina's going to take? At eight? Yeah. I mean, they could look to add another weapon. Maybe uh, Kyle Pitts if he falls that far. That's the thing. Like, I think Kyle Pitts should be a top five pick. Okay. Talent-wise, like I think he's going to be a top five player in this draft, but I just don't know where he's going to end up going. Mm. But I think that would be like I think another weapon would be a great addition, especially since they lost Samuel and you're trying to capitalize on Donald's value. Like you want the best offensive situation around him, and there are so many good weapon options in this top ten that they'll have their their choice. Yeah, I saw a, a mock that had I saw a mock that had Penny uh, Sewell going to Car- Carolina. Well, that would be a steal. Yeah. But yeah. I'm dropping I think the eight. That realistically, I <clears> think um, Rashawn Slater, Slater could be there. Christian Darrisaw, maybe if they want to draft him that high. Taylor Martin is a good right tackle, so they need a left tackle. But Kyle Pitts is there. But if it was me, Pitts is there. You I would him. go defense, and I would pick Patrick Sertain the second and pair him up with Dante Jackson. He just got AJ Boye. And just keep on improving that defense because their defense is young. They're up and coming. They got Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, Derek Brown, Jeremy Chin, Shaq Thompson. That's second. They signed Denzel nice. Perriman with Dante Jackson, AJ Boye with Patrick Chartain the second. I think they can be a really good defense. Last year they weren't too bad. Yeah. It's just they were horrible on third downs. <laughs> but uh young, I think they should mistakes. go defense again. They because s- this draft, you can get a wide receiver or a tackle in the second or third yeah. round. They still got a couple holes to fill out, but I like the direction they're heading. And also, just to call back to my point about Robbie Anderson, he said this was last season, I think at one point, uh, Darnold and Anderson's relationship was brought into question last season after Anderson replied with a thinking and frowning emoji to a 55-second video of Jets quarterbacks, including Darnold, missing him when he was open during his tenure. The undrafted wide receiver quickly put that to rest. I ain't throwing shade. Sam's my boy. We just ain't connect. I hate missed opportunities. What's the issue? The Jets weren't my only choice coming out undrafted. I just felt it was the best fit. So, so I mean, that's not a, that's not a ringing Darnold. endorsement. Yes, and he did, he did not, like I said earlier, he did not tweet about Donald's arrival or like any tweets saying that he was excited about the move. So well, this, after hearing that, yeah. And the thing about it is that, I mean, I, I, I've been saying this for the longest. 
I even got into an argument with JC, I think, I last year that. about it. Are you talking about? Robbie Anderson would have been a 1,000 receiver, 1,000 yard receiver way before this past season if Donald would have never underthrew him the, mm-hmm. the amount of times that he did. Robbie Anderson was always capable of doing what he's doing now. Mm-hmm. It's just the quarterback play was never there. And even with Teddy Bridgewater, an average quarterback, we see how that how much that can do for a receiver. Yeah. Maybe it's the play calling. Maybe it's the quarterback. Now we're going to yeah. get a chance to <laughs> really see Donald. It's like one of those rare moments where you're like, I wish I could have seen that. Now you actually get a chance to see Sam Donald with a, like a chance to you know redeem himself. And, and uh, Robbie Anderson has been asked about Sam Donald. He said, I think me and Sam had very good chemistry. I think that really stems from communication and trust. If you look at the growth between me and Sam, you notice towards the back end of me being with the Jets, him throwing the ball up in double coverage and just throwing the ball up. That came with time and just trust in me making those plays and coming through for him in the clutch, which I think is when did he say not that? true. He said it two days ago. Okay. He capping. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, like, I, no I, yeah, no, I don't think. I don't think, I think he wants to say to Bridgewater. I, I think he's saying that because it's, you know, what his agent told him to say. I mean, I think Teddy Bridgewater is a better quarterback than Sam Donald. 100%. I think he is. I think he's the safer bet, but I think the Panthers are trying right now to, uh, you know, like catch a slipstream and, and try and, uh, you know, leapfrog a couple teams here with, you know, betting on Sam Donald's potential, which is a big risk, especially because they gave up a second and a fourth next year, which could be pretty good picks. You said it. I don't think they're going to finish higher than third in their division. So I would have I would have uh, not traded for Sam and just drafted Kellen Mond in the second his value is skyrocketing, man. It is. Everything, he has that, a, I, he has everything that I had said throughout the previews is totally off the table now because I would not draft him as high as he's as he's, you know. I would draft him with I would draft him with a first round pick. Wow. Not not a top fifteen pick. Like where the bear if the Bears draft him, I would one hundred percent be behind that pick. I felt very good about him as like a third round pick. I would be much more skeptical about drafting him in like the late first round. You know what's the thing about uh, draft season that people don't get is that before we get into this month, even like uh, right now is April, right? So March, April-ish. A bunch of players' draft stock starts to rise up. The reason for it is not narratives. It's not, you know, headlines in the media. The real reason for it is that once the NFL season is done, everybody gets a chance to sit down and actually watch a bunch of tape on these prospects. During the NFL season, NFL coaches are not watching Kellen Mond. It's only until after the season that they're truly watching and studying all these quarterbacks. And that's why you see players jump up on draft boards or their stock lowers because they're actually seeing these players for the first time in depth. And that's the same thing with Kellen Mond. Kellen Mond was good all four years in Texas A&M. Four-year starter, played against SEC defenses, never had the best talent on the field, but always made it work, a sound decision-maker and a very great arm. Because of that, he's flying up draft boards, and, you know, I can't say I, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm I not going to say I mind it because, I, you know, I don't mind it at all. I think he's a very talented player. I just don't like the stiffness in his game. But outside of that, I think he does have everything else. It's just pretty funny, like how some guys shoot up the draft boards, like you said. Like there was a time a month ago where Mac Jones was being debated on if he was a first round pick or not, and now he's, I would say, a shoe in at three. I would feel at this point, based on everything we've heard. So the betting just, odds it, are in his yeah. are in his favor. It's pretty crazy, and, and that's the same thing with Zach Wilson. People yeah. are starting to not like Zach Wilson 
because of the hype that he's getting. But it's not his fault he's getting that hype. Yeah. People are watching him for the first time and saying, wow. That's even the same thing with Fields. You, you would think Fields was a lock for a top three pick before, and now he's falling too. I've heard him falling like out of the top ten for yeah. some people, which is crazy. But I mean, Especially Fields, this year with like with the combine being late, or no combine, the pro days being later than they normally are. Teams not being able to send as many people out. Like Everything has been delayed this season as opposed to a normal year. I mean, Fields... I like him as a prospect. I hope that he does pan out. But he has some stance. I mean, people ride or die for Justin Fields. You know, they say, oh, he's the best quarterback in the draft, all this, all that. I hope that he pans out for their sake. Because the way that Justin Fields fans bash every quarterback in this draft outside of Trevor Lawrence in favor of Fields is pretty ridiculous. They make Fields, they, they make Fields out to be like a perfect prospect, which I don't think he is. So, you know, it's going to be pretty tricky. Even, I think, you know, uh, J.T. O'Sullivan, I saw a, a podcast of him today from PFF. He has Justin Fields as his first-ranked quarterback. Wow. Over Trevor Lawrence. I think that's crazier than Phil, than Chris Sims having Zach Wilson over Lawrence. I would agree with that. Yeah. From what I've seen, like, I think Fields has more flaws in his game than Wilson does. You saw the uh, video that uh, he made, the satire video? No. He made a satire video of his top six QB rankings for the draft class. And it was exactly Chris Sims. And he made an entire video. Basically everything Chris Sims says about the quarterbacks. He basically was like joking about it. That was his April fool's joke. (laughs) And he basically like is saying, you know how there's a racial component to why fields is dropping and Mac Jones is going up and all this other stuff. But I'm just saying, I know he's a great football mind, but if Justin Fields doesn't pan out, He's going to look very dumb for criticizing Chris Sims and making a whole video joking and mocking his list mm. when Chris Sims has been more right than he has been. Yeah. He didn't even like Justin Herbert. Yeah. He thought he wasn't going to be good. He thought, too, was this like great prospect. So now in hindsight, we see that, oh, that wasn't the case. So I just think it's pretty dumb when people mock other people's rankings in terms of prospects during draft season because you don't know how they're going to pan out. So why make a 30-minute video on Chris Sims bashing and mocking his list when you might be the one that's wrong this entire time? I think it's pretty ridiculous to mock something based on your gut instinct or what can happen. You know, I think it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not going to call anybody crazy for their rankings just because the draft is, it's it's a guessing game, really. Mm -hmm. It's an educated guessing game. You can do all the research you want on a guy, and they could be the, the number one well, A1 situation, prospect. Honestly. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. I mean, you look back at Jamarcus Russell, he was the golden prospect. And mm-hmm. you there's no there's nothing you can do to see somebody's work ethic. Like really when it gets down to the nitty gritty, there's nothing you could have done to see Jamarcus Russell was a loser at the end of the day in, in the draft process. Like there's just things that happen that you can't forecast. This is my, this is my thing with people saying there's a racial component to Mac Jones being, you know, mocked at three and Justin Fields slipping in the draft because obviously throughout history, when scouts scout, uh, African-American quarterbacks, they usually say things like they can't process or they can't read the field. Well, they basically challenge their intelligence Mm. while praising their physical tools and stuff like that. And I understand like that is, that is something that a lot of scouts use when evaluating African-American quarter, quarterbacks. But at the same time, if you don't believe a quarterback can read a defense that well or process or get to a second reads consistently, 
what are you supposed to say? You know, without, yeah. without, you know, what do you like, are we, are people supposed to not say certain things when evaluating a African American quarterback, because it might sound racist or there might be a racial component. Like, I don't get it. Is are people that say that Justin Fields isn't great at processing defenses? Is that racial or is that just what they see? You know, I think it's a very tricky situation, but I don't think we can just make everything out to be something, you know, racist and yeah. be like, oh, if he, oh, he's crazy. Justin Fields is great at processing defense. He's just saying this because he's an African American quarterback. You know, I don't buy into that notion, but you know, people draft season very toxic time of the year. Everybody's always arguing and bickering back and forth about uh these prospects yeah that might and, not even pan out and i mean like i said it before during the first two segments these guys in the nfl they care about one thing and it's their money and they are not messing with that over race or anything people were wrong on justin herbert people insulted justin herbert and his ability to read a defense and that had nothing to do with his race it was just them doing their job scouting him at the end of the day they want to win so they can make the most possible money and i don't think people really Think about it in that lens a lot of the time when really, like, I promise you, that is all they care about. Yeah, at the end of the day, Tua was praised for intelligence and his cerebralness and all this other stuff, his instincts. And, I mean, he's not a white quarterback. He's of darker skin. Yeah. He's Hawaiian, but still, you would think that that same racial component would pertain to him and other quarterbacks that we've seen come in the draft. I don't think anybody challenged Kyler Murray's intelligence either coming out of the draft. No. I'm not sure if they did or not. Even Dwayne Haskins, like Dwayne Haskins, everybody thought it was a shoe win, top five pick. Yeah, a shoe win. You know, a shoe win to be that sixth pick. And then when he didn't get drafted, everybody the went wild. Got killed. Yes, for that. everybody went wild until we saw that. Yeah, he wasn't good. So I don't know. I think we just need to let these things play out. But draft season's very emotional time of year. It's end of the month, right? Yes, yeah, it's twenty nine. So we have like two to three more weeks. I can't this. take it, man. I'm so tired of hearing about it. I just wish it was tomorrow. Yeah, I want to see who who picks who. Definitely. For real. So, Paul Pierce got fired from ESPN. This was a trending topic on Twitter. The reason he got fired was because he was on an Instagram Live with half-naked women and what looked to be exotic dancers, and he was smoking weed as well. Well, it looked like weed. So, uh... And this live video went pretty viral. People took snippets and put it up on Twitter. And they said, Paul Pierce is wildin'. He's going crazy. All this other stuff. And then two days later, when the weekend <laughs> passed, Paul uh, Paul Pierce, it was announced that he, was, out he was fired from ESPN. And, I mean, he was on the show The Jump, the NBA Countdown. Wasn't very good, but he was on the show. Probably one of the worst analysts that they have on the show. No, he might be the Probably worst. The worst. Yeah. yeah, he's definitely the Did worst. Did you guys see the the clip where uh, they're talking about 76ers highlights and Paul Pierce <laughs> is talking over the highlight and he's like, "This would, this would, this is not word for word, but the Sixers were blowing out the Spurs, I believe, and Embiid without was Embiid." And he was like, "See, this is the thing, man. That's why Embiid is not my MVP <laughs> because." The 76, no, he yeah, said, he was like, this is he why, said, MB this is is why MB MB. Embiid is my MVP. The 76ers are getting blown out without Joel Embiid. And he's like, oh, wait, oh, they're Ray, winning by 20. Rachel Nichols, Rachel, oh, he was Rachel Nichols goes, yeah. well, they're winning by 30, Paul. And he goes, oh, oh, I misread that. That's my <laughs> Yo, no, nah, he's, he's So crazy. he did not care about yeah. that job at all. You, you said it, though, like, I don't think that this is a difficult decision at all for ESPN. Maybe if it was like a Stephen A. Smith that got caught doing this. Isn't he married, too? 
Yeah, he's supposed to have, supposedly has wife and kids. Yeah, all right, see, that's what it is. It's the marriage. You have a bunch of women ass naked on the cam. You're smoking, and you're getting a haircut. <laughs> that's what really like, that's what really had he was just not good at his job in general so like i don't think he i don't think i ever heard him say something and i was like oh, that's a great point paul like he was a terrible analyst no. he, the only reason he got the job is because he was a good basketball player and espn the nba countdown the jump any espn programming is better off without him so this is a blessing in disguise for espn i think the funniest thing he said was when uh he was on there, and the Bucks. No, I think the Celtics destroyed the Bucks game one, and he was like, "Oh, it's over." They're running the table, and they just lost like four straight. Nah, yeah, he, they did. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> the funniest Paul Pierce moment on ESPN was when he was talking about him and Dwayne Wade's oh. careers and comparing them, and then Jalen Rose a- actually ended him. You remember the girl? No, she was in the back talking about. Oh, well, that's more than one. No, <laughs> she was just violent. But now, nah, um. Yeah, he wasn't good. So it's like him getting fired. I don't think it's going to hurt them. I think they can plug in another guy. I think he brought the humor more than anything because he was he was really honestly funny. And the way he's on Instagram talking about he has more opportunities, I think he's going to be suited for a better spot anyways. And, yeah, like he only got the job because he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But I think what people did with that job is with when he would take a bad take, he'll say something. I think people discredited him and forgot like how good he actually was. And I think he kind of did that to himself. Like, that job really undermined his career. He was a really great basketball player at his time and when he played. But, yeah, that video is kind of, like, really weird. Like, you have a wife and kids and you're out yeah. there naked. It's sad. Yeah, it's, you're too old for that, bro. You're, like, 50. You can't be doing stuff like that at that age. I got a question. Who was better, Ryan Hollins or Paul Pierce? Oh, my oh. God. I don't know. <laughs> no. Uh, I honestly don't know. They were both really bad. I think Paul Pierce might have been worse. I give yeah. Ryan Hollins the edge a little bit. I think Ryan Hollins, he knows what he's talking about. He just has really bad takes. And the thing yeah. about Paul Pierce is, like, I feel like he was just so salty about, like, his... I don't I don't know if he was salty about his career, because he did have a really good career, I but I just don't... About his definitely. Career. I don't think he was willing to accept the fact that he wasn't as good as he thought they he threw, was. They threw the vid up of him um, throwing his headband in the stands and then somebody throwing it back. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, he was not... He was not Kobe. As Draymond Green said, chasing that farewell D-Wade. tour, he was not Kobe. And I think he always thought of himself in that <laughs> regard. I thought he would, He always thought he was in that category, as you should when you're in the league. Didn't he get carried off the court one time to go take yeah. a dump? That's the story. <laughs> That's the story. I think, but I think, I Jack, I think when you're out there, you know, performing against these guys and you're doing your thing too, you're going to have that, like, feeling like, of like course. yeah, I, I feel like I'm on this guy's level. I'm out here. Killing him, he's killing me too. But I'm putting in work, so I think that's how he yeah. felt. Of something, something I did see on Twitter though, a, a question arose uh, that was this firing justified from ESPN? Because obviously, when you're under, when when you're working for yourself, you have the free will to do stuff like this. Even when you're working for other more lenient companies, like I think if he was working for Barstool. This would have been tolerated. Oh, yeah, they yeah. would have, they would have yes. posted the video themselves. Yeah, it's because it's because ESPN. Yeah. You know, yes. I, I mean, ESPN I think, is falling off, anyways. I think that this firing was justified. I mean, especially when you work for a corporation that is owned by Disney, they have to maintain their mm-hmm. image. Yeah, and I also think part of the reason he got fired too was because of the Rachel Nichols comment. And I think <laughs> it's she gonna, say? <laughs> oh, somebody somebody commented on the IG live. Where's Rachel Nichols? Wow. Yeah, so I think that'll create a weird dynamic at work, yeah. especially for her. Why would, I, he act, why would they ask that? I think that, mm-hmm. one, it just reflects poorly on ESPN, and two, again, he was not good at his job. If it was Stephen A. Smith, 
who did this or, or Max Kellerman, I think we might be having a different conversation where they maybe be suspended for a week or something like that. They would not let go of somebody like this. I mean, they Stephen were A has been job. caught doing something yeah. like this. So, he, I yeah. mean, I I mean like, remember ESPN. Stephen A, he has a video up about how he favors booties over. <laughs> over yeah, yeah, but Stephen over A, boobs. I think Stephen A, we can all agree, can do anything he wants in the, in the, yeah. in the screen. He'll be okay. But that's the thing. Like, Paul Pierce didn't have that yeah. leniency because he just was not good yeah. at his I job. I think ESPN is, like, more about professionalism. And I think yeah. what Paul Pierce did. Granted, I'm cool with it, but what he did was just like in terms of ESPN wasn't. I think, uh, I think that he wanted to be fired, low key. I think they were wait. I think he wanted to be fired. I think they were trying to fire yeah. him anyways. It's it's pretty hard to imagine accidentally posting as much as he did of. No, he was on he it was. face Without to face. Yeah, he was, come on, he was on Without it face to face. Yeah, he was on it for a minute. I think he was tired of, like I said, he was getting hit so often with the reality that he was not the player that he thought he was. And I think he had lost the enjoyment of beca- of being that analyst because so often it was thrown back in his face. You don't, th- you don't think it's just because he's rich and doesn't want to work a job? It could be that. Not to mention, people sometimes just want to live their life. Like he just maybe he just want that day wanted to go on live and just show out. Like, but his job wouldn't let him, so he's just like, forget it. He's probably gonna be on all the smoke in a week or two, definitely <laughs> to talk about it. So <laughs> he's probably gonna get hired by Barstool. Yeah, that wouldn't like, be a bad fit. He's gonna be. He'll be back. He's you know he's a Hall of Famer. He was a good player. Like he'll be back somewhere eventually. He's just. I mean, he did say bigger things are coming. So yeah, the yeah. way he was acting, he was cool with it. Like, what's bigger? <laughs> I mean, like I get it. They're falling off, but what's bigger in the sports world than ESPN? At the end of the day, yeah, that's true. That that is the top of the map. I don't know. It depends because the character that he was on ESPN was not a credible one. I think he he ruined his he image was by being on there. I think by being on a on a on a, you know, with a company like Barstool where his personality could come out, where he can throw jokes that aren't PG all the time, people can now, you know, relate to him more and he'll become more likable. Even um, I think um, it could help his image a lot. Even, what's that called, with Shaq and them and Kenny and TNT, I think he could have fit on that too because they say just as dumb, they do no, dumb I don't things. Think so. You don't no, think so? No, I don't think they say dumb, dumb things though. No, I think Shaq and Charles Barkley, they're, they're, they're right behind Paul Pierce. But their analysis is good, though. Yeah, that's true. They're yeah, I but yeah. I don't know if Paul Pierce will ever be a likable character, honestly. Like I, I just think that he just as has a, such yeah. a big head. As an analyst, no, he's horrible. Yeah, he's not good at that. Jack spitting the truth about the truth. <laughs> um, ESPN came out with uh their twenty five and under list. There are twenty five players that were on the list, but we're only going to talk about the top ten. And uh, this is the top ten. Luka Doncic is one. Zion Williamson is two. LaMelo Ball is three. Donovan Mitchell is four. Jason Tatum is five. De'Aaron Fox is six. Ben Simmons is seven. Devin Booker is eight. Bam Adebayo is nine. And Shea Gildress Alexander is ten. What what do you, you know, do you have a problem with this list? What And if you do, what is your problem with the list? That list is horrible. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> first things first, there is no way, no way that R.J. Barrett should not be somewhere on this list. All right, that's where we're going to start there. <laughs> Would you like? I agree. You think so? Yes. Are there 25 guys? Well, this, is, this is, hold up. For one, what do you I, think this list is? Okay, well, for starters. Let, let's, just, let's just get that out of the way. I think we can all agree. This think, list is based off potential. Okay, so I think we can all agree. Luke at one is... Surefire, yeah, yeah. Sure yeah. Zion no at two. I don't agree. Who has more potential? I think Jason Zion. Tatum should be a two. 
He for, has more potential for what he's than shown Zion. and what his what he can be. I think he should be. Do a you two. know that Zion has the Pelicans having the best offensive rating since he's had those okay. ball handling duties? Yeah, I understand. The that. team is just not around him. Zion is for sure number two. I, I'm not over I, I, Tatum. I, I don't even mind for Zion. Sure. Too. I, I can't put him over Zion Tatum. Too. I think I, can. I think the Easy. the way the league is trend say I think Tatum's potential is literally limitless. I think Lamelo is too high. As great as he's been as a we're rookie, we're talking I think about he's potential. I think he's just right at three. I just over, we're talking about potential. over Tatum. Yes, I don't know how we. If can we're talking judge about potential, that. but this is potential. He's, he's played thirty games and he's he looks like a, thirty. He looks like a so why should RJ Barrett be on the list? Because look at some of the names that are Bam out of bio. Bam out of bio should not be there. The top 10 or just on the list? He should, top 10. We're talking oh, okay. about top 10. De'Aaron Fox should not be there. I agree. He, he's going to fiddle out sooner than later. He's just a guy who's going to put up some good numbers at the point guard spot. But because he doesn't play deep, he's not going to contribute much to winning. Okay. That, that, that's right there. And I think Shea should not be on the list. What the? What? I, Art, whoa, look, whoa, this, whoa. this is my 10. This whoa. is my 10. This is my 10. I okay, rearrange yeah, yeah, Do your 10. Luka's one. Okay. Zion is two. LaMelo is three. Four is Jason Tatum. Five is Donovan Mitchell. Six is Devin Booker. Seven is Ben Simmons. Eight is Trey Young. Nine is Jalen Brown. And ten is R.J. Barrett. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I think we might have had a miscommunication here. I'm talking about the top 25 list. I'm not talking about the top 10. I'm talking about no, the top No, this, this is the top 10 of the top 25 list. I'm talking about the full top 25. Like, when I said R.J. Barrett should be there, I meant the top 25 Oh, yeah, list. he should be there, but I'm yeah. saying R.J. should be top 10 Wait, wait, 10 so wait. Let me, me get this straight. This is about potential? R.J. is top 10 for me. Wait, this list is about potential, but they didn't add Trey Young. Trey Young. You no, sure? Trey Young was on 16. it. I'm, I'm talking about my guys okay. who I think Trey are top 10. Okay. These are Which the players is crazy. That, he should be higher. We're talking about opinion. the players who got left off the top 10 right now. Okay, your you're top 10. Read it one more time. Luka, Zion, LaMelo, Tatum, Mitchell, Booker, Simmons, Trey, Jalen Brown, and R.J. Barrett. Okay. R.J. Barrett is in your top 10. Yes. Why? 18 points per game. Shooting so we're 30. doing numbers. Okay, hold up. Let, let, first of all, let's <laughs> do this. Because Tatum should first not of all, be let's four. First of all, let's, let's do this. Okay. If we're talking numbers, Zion's better than Tatum, numbers-wise. You want to put his Tatum team. with Zion. He's, play, he's sharing the ball with Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker. Like, come on. Don't do that. Come on. Get out of here. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't and that. he's playing all, he plays all NBA another, defense. The, the Pelicans have another 20-point per game scoring in Brandon Ingram. Let's uh, not play that. Let's not, not play gonna, that. We're not going to do Let's that. Let's not play that. So, okay. This is why RJ should be there. He's only in his second season. He's young. He's 20 years old. He's averaging 20 points per game right now. I mean, 18 points per game right now. His biggest weakness coming into the year was he can't shoot. He's shooting 38% from the three this season. He's took a drastic improvement in his three-point shot, and he's already one of the better two-way players in the NBA. You talk about offense and defense? Yes, he's a great defender. He's a great defender. He's one of the main (laughs) reasons why the Knicks are where they are in the standings. The Knicks would not be where they are without R.J. Barrett. And... You wanted to laugh at his shooting. He's shooting better than Tyler Harrell from the three point from the three point line this season. Last year, you said Tyler Harrell is better than RJ Barrett. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Did I say that? Yes, you did. You said you you argued at that. the moment he was better though, was he not? But I always said we're going by potential. Potential RJ has way more potential than Tyler Harrell. Okay, this is the thing. RJ Barrett's potential is limitless. He can be a top ten player in this league. Oh my! I God. believe that with my heart. Now you, yo. RJ Barrett. <laughs> R.J. Barrett, when he got drafted, he said he wants to put New York on the mat. He embraced the challenge. He's a guy who's always going to continue to get better. When Anthony Edwards called him out 
on, you know, basically we're going to leave RJ open. RJ, he got asked a question about the situation. He said, I'll be ready next time. He's a dog. He has that killer mentality. The same thing that Kobe and MJ had. That's why they oh call him the Maple Mamba. RJ Barrett is a top 10 player in the top 10, 20, the top 25 list because we are talking about potential. The potential for RJ is there. I, I don't know. It's there 100%. He has more potential to Bam? Yes. I don't think RJ Ooh. will ever be a top 10 player in the league, and it's not as much of a knock on him as much as it's like where he's at right now, he would have to take a huge jump. Like Zion, I think, will be a top 10 player in the league, <laughs> but when you look at it, like the top 10 right now is set. I don't even think RJ is a top 25 player in the league right now. He's not on the top 25 list. He's not a now. top... So, 35 player in the league so like right he, now. he's got to take a big jump and then Doesn't you also got to consider the guys that are coming in like Lamelo came into the league and I think is has has a better argument to become a top 10 player in the next few years than RJ does was Paul George the top 10 player in the league when in the second year in the, in the, in no, the league no 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 and I'm not saying it's impossible first of all I'm not saying it's potential. impossible but first of all first of all hold on hold on Jack. Let, let me potential. just let me just jump on that take one guy came out of Duke and the other guy Came out of wherever he came out of. It, it does matter because the oh, spotlight was on Arja. Arja been winning since his freshman year of high school. Okay. It's a completely different thing. Arja's potential was noted his freshman year's high school. He was he mm. got that nickname early on, Maybe so we knew his, yeah we we knew what his potential was in the beginning. You got him. You really got him in your top ten though. Yes, to potential wise, he is in my top ten, no doubt about it. I, I'm not look. I don't think Shea has more potential than R.J. Barrett. Because I think RJ, I think they're around the same RJ, size. RJ See? is a way better defender than Shea. Shea's a way better offensive player I think, at I the think moment. Shea, yes. When you talk about ball handling, craftiness, and playmaking ability, yes. But I think as a shooter, they're about the same. RJ has really improved his shooting a lot this season, and I think <clears throat> just the ability to be really good offensively, and he's also going to work on his handle. He has, he projects as a really good point forward. He can be a point forward in the league that can run your offense when at when he's at his best. And couple that in with a great defender, I think he is in his top 10. But they, I, I'm not putting, you know, I'm taking out De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox, I'm putting RJ over De'Aaron Fox, but I, I'm putting Trey Young over Shea, and I'm putting Jalen Brown over Bam Adebayo. The thing, but the, the difference how you says RJ Barrett could be all those things on offense, Shea is already that right now. He's not a better shooter than RJ. No, but you're talking about the the point forward, the playmaking. Like he's already well, yeah, because he's a guard. I'm saying he he's already yeah, but he's but they're the same size. Shea is six six. RJ is about six 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 seven. He's six seven. Oh, Shea is so six the, five. So the, Shea is not six. He's six six, bro. He's six. He's, li- he's literally six six. They're the same. They're literally the same. Like Shea's already That's there shoes on, at the moment shoes though. On. Well, Shea's already that <laughs> at the moment. You cannot put him over there right now, potential wise. RJ has a lot to work on. He hasn't. He's shown the jump. But to, to say the jump has taught you that it's, he should be in your top well, 10 Shea is crazy. Well, is in his third year in the league. And RJ's so in his sec- second. His second year in OKC playing with a point god in Chris Paul who is known to make his teammates better is averaging the same amount of points as RJ. If RJ was playing with a real point guard, not Alfred Payton, not Derrick Rose, I'm talking about a real legit point guard, That's he'd true. be averaging 20 as, as much as Chris Paul helped him, though, Chris Paul took away from his numbers, though, scoring-wise and assist-wise. So. Shea was dominating the ball, ball too. handling. Chris Paul was was the ball handler for that. Team, Shea though. started off last season averaging twenty plus points per game. Yeah, he was he, the he scorer. D- he dropped yeah, down, and it balanced out over the course of the year. He dropped down because of his, his efficiency. Dropped down with that. You know, at first he was playing great, just like Jalen Brown this year when you know his efficiency was off the charts, and now he's back to normal. You know, 
It happens in, in the beginning of the year, players go crazy. But it's if you can maintain that throughout the entire year. I think RJ has maintained that and he's gotten better. And this is a guy whose mental toughness is unlike no other. And this guy missed like 20 plus straight threes, bro. And now he's still he's still shooting 38% from the three. And early in the he, he early in the year he missed like 18 plus threes. Shy is a 41% three-point shooter. How many attempts? This year on six attempts. Oh, five attempts, pardon me. Not better than RJ. <laughs> He's 50, 41, 80 right now on 24, 6, and 5. Third year. Tell me his second year stats. I got you right now. Nin- Let's compare to second year 19, stats. 6, and 3. What's mm-hmm. the efficiency? 47, 35, so 80. In the second season, RJ's a better three-point shooter than But think year. about this, though. Think of how he's jumped in efficiency and his team's got worse. Okay, and the responsibilities see? have built up more. Okay, see, okay, see. Yeah, that's yeah, but that's, that's really he good. He hasn't even been playing recently, though. That's just true. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got he's got 30, I mean, he's got thirty five games. I mean, in. I I made my case for RJ. So, what Re- is your problem with this top ten? Regardless list? of top ten or not, RJ should be on the list. There's no way I love Mikael Bridges. There's no way Mikael Bridges should be on the list over RJ Barrett. He and and that is just one, that is just one player to one player. Mikael Bridges should not be over Anthony Edwards. He should not be over. Tyrese Halliburton, in my opinion, he I don't even know if he should be over Colin Sexton if we're talking potential. Colin Sexton is another De'Aaron Fox. I love Mikael Bridges, but yeah, like I I just I think having him at seventeen is crazy. It's the defense. The defensive potential for Michael Bridges is really yeah, but it's an offensive league. It's 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 an offensive league though. But I feel like in today's game, offense is like it's it's a little bit more easier to learn. Defense is like if you got it, you got it. If you don't, you, I feel like you just don't. And with him being able, if he can get that offense impact, but he could be a two way. Is he ever going to do that? What what that has is. he shown? Mikel is a role player. Yeah, so that's, that's so. I don't think that He's having him player, at set, which is like fine. I think. Ha- yeah, yeah, of course, of <laughs> yeah, course. <it's> fine. <laughs> But, but I like, don't think he can. He can. He can't go to a whack team and put up twenty. He's not game. even a. He's not even a ten a point per game scorer on his career. Like he has not averaged sure. double digits for his career. So what now. else? But, but, but can Colin go and play his role as well as he does? No, no. But I mean, you wouldn't ask it's, him to play that. It's, role. It's then. hard to judge guys like that who play on bad teams and put up like great numbers. Like you don't know what their real potential is. I mean, this list is basically who do you think is going to be better in five years from now? Your list is horrible. No, because honestly, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. I should have probably had Jamal Murray on here. What? No, no, <laughs> yeah. no. Jamal Murray's going to be a Jamal superstar. Murray. That's we really know. Come on, no. He's going to be a star. No. Yeah. That, Jamal in my Murray. Wait, how old is the Joker? He's over twenty five. Yeah, he yeah, probably is. I thought he was, like was twenty seven. Yeah. In my opinion, if Jamal Murray was going to become a superstar. This was his year to blossom into it, and he didn't. I still think he could be a star. He, he's averaged at 21 points per game. He, he did improve. Yeah, he improved. He's not a superstar. Two points. Oh, my God. I don't even think Donovan Mitchell's a superstar, and he's and he's averaging No, Donovan Mitchell's a, a star. He's not a superstar. He's, not a superstar. he's definitely star. creeping in that superstar But I think Jamal range. Murray Jamal Murray next season is going to take that leap, especially in the playoffs. If the Lakers are not healthy, Denver Nuggets going to the finals. We'll talk about if that later. Lakers are not healthy. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. You can't take a leap if you're constantly, if you're just regular during the regular season. But he's improved this year. Two points is no, really not three. A, what three. was it? Eighteen last that year. Was Eighteen last year. Okay. <laughs> was it like around eighteen? So, so if we if we go by that next year, he'll average twenty four. Then next year, so? he'll average twenty seven. Then he averages thirty. You think so? Then he averages thirty six. You think so? I really doubt he will. I wish life was that easy. 
So this is what I'm saying. Though. I mean, I think my top 10 is, is set in stone. I don't think Bam has more potential than these guys. I don't think De'Aaron Fox is or Shea. And, you know, I glanced at the other top 25, but I just care about the top 10. Yeah, That's I, what really matters. Um, Yeah, I, I think your list, I, I would just add Shea and Bam in. I, I wouldn't have RJ in mine. I just, but for the most part, your list is good. I would just I just disagree with your order at the top of it. I think Luka is one. I think Jason Tatum is two. And I think Zion will have to go three, and then I will put Donovan at four. I probably would have put Jason Tatum at three. Yeah, I would have bumped out the Iron Fox. Um, I don't know. It, it's tough. It get it gets you know blurry in the middle. But I think that having Lamelo at three was too high. I think that having Mikael Bridges on and not having R.J. Barrett on was ridiculous. I think that that was mad disrespectful. And I'm not even a Nick fan. Like I can only imagine how Nick fans felt about that. R.J. Um, Barrett has gotten snuff from everything. Last year, Terrence oh, Davis made go. the all-rookie team only, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Go. If we're talking potential, are you putting Jamal Murray over Michael Porter Jr.? Mm. Go ahead and say something, Joe. If we're talking potential. Go ahead. Yo, come on. Because <laughs> they have Jamal Murray at 13 and Michael Wait a minute. Porter Jr. Is John Moran on the list? Yeah, he is. He's at 15, which I also think is crazy. Time out. Stop. Yeah. John Moran's on the list? Yeah, he's at 15. John Moran should be in your top 10 of R.J. Barrett. Hell no. Yes. R.J. has more potential than him. No, John Moran's better right now, but no, R.J. has more potential than no, John doesn't. Moran. Yes, he does. No, he I think, yes, I, he does. I think he's definitely got more potential than Jamal Murray. And De'Aaron nah. Fox. Nah. And John Moran. Uh, John Moran will never have the playoff performances that Jamal Murray's had already. He won't have. He, will he, never he have might them. never have the playoff performances Donovan Mitchell, but that doesn't mean he can't be better than both guys. Nah, he's not going. You like John Moran, so I'll give you that. But uh, nah, nah, nah. We're not talking about playoff performances, though. We're talking about just as a player overall. In well, general. look, I th- you're talking I, like John. I, wait, wait, I, I wait. You're talking like Jamal Murray's like this second and All Star, All NBA caliber. He's going to be soon. I'm, I'm sick of the going to be. When is he like like? They bro, he's in like year five. They say the same thing about Steph Curry. What the, I'm just saying, Jamal ever, Murray. Don't Jamal, ever, Jamal don't Murray. Ever. I'm telling you, Jamal Murray's going to be that guy. How old is Jamal Murray? He's 23. Oh my god! He's actually he's twenty three, and he's, he's averaging twenty one points per game. We got oh my a, god! And he's had phenomenal playoff performances. But he's also in his fifth season. He came into the league really young. So Steph Curry didn't make an all star game until the stop fifth comparing season the greatest shooter in life. To no, that I'm guy. just saying, just because it's in your fifth year does not mean anything. No, I'm just saying the the curve is different for him than it would be for a guy who came into the league at twenty one. In my opinion, Th- this is the thing. Okay, uh, John Morant should not be on the list. I mean, not top 10, not top 10. He should Whoa. not be top 10. Nah, that was, that we was crazy. MPJ versus Jamal Murray, it's tough. You know, potential-wise, you could say MPJ because of his size and stuff like that. But honestly, I, I, don't, I don't trust the head on his shoulders. I mean, he thinks the uh, vaccine is fake and they're trying to depopulate the earth. <laughs> what are you going to say? Kyrie thinks the world's not So what are you going to go on him to? Ah, man, <laughs> I don't know. I think Kyrie just surpasses Michael Porter Jr. so much in skill that I wouldn't even make that argument for Kyrie. But MPJ, I don't know, just kind of seems like a wacko sometimes. So I'm going with Jamal Murray in terms of potential. I think Jamal Murray, not only is his skill really great, but he has a good head on his shoulders. He meditates before games. He knows how to hypnotize himself. Dog, and that's why. No, no, search it up. Jamal Murray knows how to hypnotize no, but himself. What does it have to do with yeah, anything? Yeah, what are you talking about? That's why he plays so good in the playoffs because he hypnotizes himself and he's locked in. I don't think MPJ so can do that. So why doesn't he do that the whole season? It's tougher, man. You got to travel and all this other stuff. When you're great, you do it. You feel me? Great. Jamal Murray's starting to do that. I'm telling you, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's going to take that leap. 
I promise you he was going to take the leap. You told us this year he was going to take the leap. And he did. Three points per game. No, you said better. all-star leap. You said on the show he was going to make you an all-star, all-star leap. You, you did. You West did. West is tough, man. He's, I told, and I told, tough, you, man. I told you that, though. But I'm saying, Jamal Murray next year is going to be the year. Trust me. You it's said that last year, though. No, no, no. But last year was different. <laughs> last year was different. Last year was different. Jokic was the one who took that leap. Jokic took that leap this season. Yeah, because Jokic is way better. But Jamal Murray next year is going to be his turn. Mm-hmm. His turn to you think he's going to be better than Jokic next no, year? No, no, he's it's going to be his turn to take that leap for the Nuggets, and now they're going to have two star two superstars in Jokic and Jamal. Murray. I don't think Jamal Murray will ever be a superstar. I think he is going to. I be. think he'll be a star. Do you think Donovan Mitchell will ever be a superstar? Mm-hmm. If you say Jamal Murray, you have to say yes. I to like Donovan Jamal Mitchell. over Mitchell. I'll be honest. Wow. I do. Yo, I'm out. <laughs> I can't do this. I like I, I love Mitchell, Why? but I like Jamal over Mitchell. Why? I just think uh, his game could translate more into the playoffs. Donovan Mitchell had a great playoff. He gave them fifty. No, nah, I know. They but went toe to toe last year in the playoffs. No, nah, I know. I know. Because the Nuggets and were they were injured. Team. Wait, wait, no. Jamal Utah Murray was injured 50. too. You do remember that, right? The Nuggets came back from three one. Yeah, came back. They were up three one. You yeah. got to go up. You got to be but somewhat good to be up three one. Yeah. Okay, but they lost. To, yeah, they did lose. But they don't lose. make it seem like Donovan ain't put on a show just like Jamal Murray. They both they put, both on, the put show. on the show. So then what do you mean? You just, What are you talking about? Donovan put on the show his rookie year, too. You forgot that? Jamal Murray put on the show as his well. Rookie his, year? His, no, first his, rookie year? his rookie year? His rookie year? His rookie year? He put it, on the show, he too. His very first bro, year. Bro, Jamal Murray has been a dog in the playoffs every single year, bro. And Donovan hasn't? He, I'm not. No, no, except for one year he hasn't. When he no, he's in the first round. One series. Eric Gordon locked him up. You talk about one series. Yeah, I mean, that was his. He lost, and that series. was in that the was second his, round. That was his only series. No, they faced Houston in the first round. They lost. Oh, you talk about the year after? Yeah. Okay, so that one his, his career oh, okay. playoff numbers are better than Jamal Murray's. Yeah, look, look, look. He's older though. Yeah, he's older than Jamal. They're like the same age. No, they're both twenty three. Check the <laughs> check the birth month. They're, don't I mean, do that. We're not. They're, they're both twenty three, bro. <laughs> no, check the birth month. All I'm saying is, I like Jamal over Mitchell. That's just me. That's my preference. That's my gut feeling. You know. I, I can't back that up, I know. but this is just my gut feeling off from what I see. Jamal Murray's actually him. older. Damn. That so, just, now that you just, just lose, better. He's just losing poised. in all aspects. He's more poised. He has more experience. I like that even better now. So he still got he, he still has so much more room to grow. <laughs> Nikola Jokic is saving Jamal Murray right now. It's a Jokic. Jokic is saving Jamal Murray right now. Jamal Murray can't handle the baggage that Donovan Mitchell has to handle. What bag is he? Says Rudy Gobert has the most win shares on that team. Mike Conley's second. Okay, that team is an all-around team. You swap so Murray and Mitchell. This so the so are the Nuggets though. Jamal Murray's the second best player on that team. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell is by far the second best player on the on the Jazz. No, I would say he's, he's the, best, the best player. But if I think not the with the Jazz, oh, so you just proved my point. With all the Jazz is it's just different categories with the Jazz. I think they're a complete all-around team where the Nuggets are more of a. Two man show with Jokic and Murray. I disagree. I think the yeah. can you run that same? But wait, can you run that same two man show with Rudy Gobert? No. Okay, but and that means that, Murray would have Murray, Murray would, would have more responsibilities. Was, yeah, and I don't think he can like do 26 it. Twenty six or twenty seven a game. No, easy. No. Yes, he would. Easy, mm. easy. In the playoffs, they were Murray and Jokic were literally a two man show and dominated. Yeah, Murray they and just, Jokic. They just went high pain roll every every possession. Yeah, Murray and Jokic. Yes. Yeah. And, they could and do why? Could, you know why they can do that? No, Jokic, no, no. I, I'm just saying, going uh, back, because Jack said that the Nuggets aren't like that. He said that they're whoa, more like Utah. Because I said, I said that Utah is more of an all-around balanced attack. And then you said that's Denver. I think the Nuggets are a pretty balanced team. They as were well. last year. 
In the playoffs, no, they were not. No, in the playoffs, no, no, no. in the in playoffs, the regular season was, they were though. In the playoffs, it was mostly Nikola Jokic. Wait, in the playoffs, so the Utah Jazz have the Utah Jazz been a balanced attack on offense? This no, year's Donovan Mitchell scored. No, Donovan Mitchell scored. But this year's the first year that we're actually taking Utah seriously. I don't know. I mean, I I thought the we've Jazz, been taking Denver seriously. I thought for the a Jazz while. were well, taking no, wait, just let's as stop seriously it. as the Nuggets last year. Wait, I thought about? the Jazz were taken just as seriously as the Nuggets. Yeah, nobody took year. Denver serious last year. But they were always a high seed, though. Last year? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, that was a 4-5 matchup, was it no? Five? And the then Jazz the year Nuggets. before that, they got the third seed. And they lost to Portland. In the Western Conference. I mean, the second the round. Second round. Yeah. But I'm saying nobody yeah. t- nobody thought Denver WCF. I don't know. I just I just don't see how you you could call the Jazz a balanced attack when Donovan in the playoffs last year when Donovan Mitchell scored thirty six points. No, right a game now in that it's series. It's, it's they play different now than they played last well, year. Well, we were talking about the playoffs though. Yeah, you we're, were talking, talking about the, no, no, we're no, 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 no. About, we're we were talking about how the Nuggets were a two man show in the playoffs last year. You did year. say that, but you the, just and said you said that. the Jazz had a more balanced attack. But, but this Donovan year they're Mitchell the same two man show with no, no, Murray and Jokic. No, 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 but we're talking about in the playoffs last year because that's when what you said. You said you said in the playoffs last year. We just talked about the play style in general. No, you said Jokic and Murray dominated in the playoffs last year with the two man show. You just said that. No, I said the Nuggets are a more of a two man show when the Jazz are a balanced attack on offense. And then you brought but up I didn't the, playoffs mention the playoffs. Last no, you literally just no, mentioned the playoffs. I brought up the playoffs as an example as to yes, how and they I'm bringing look. up the playoffs. And he's as saying Donovan example. Mitchell last year averaged 36 yeah, points a game in the playoffs. No, so you yeah, can't but say there was a balanced Utah attack. runs way more plays than the Nuggets though. It's not it's not the same thing as an, as a uh, the Nuggets on offense. It's not the same thing. <laughs> now we're going to play the plays game. That's Bro, what the doing. Nuggets are literally Murray and Jokic. You knew but what was you, coming every you, single possession down. When you look at what the Nuggets did last year, it was more so get the ball to Jokic and, and clear out of the post because teams were doubling Jokic in the post. So That's wait, would you say this Clippers. year Denver's more balanced than last year? This year is different because they lost a lot of key players. Well, with Aaron Gordon now, Will Barton. Aaron Gordon is more of a cutter in their offense. He's not really taking on a bunch of offensive responsibility. He's more of a screener and cutter. Yeah. He's not really handling the ball like that. It's yeah, just it's, Murray it's and horrible. Jokic for the most part. Bill Barnes like the third option. Yeah. That's pretty much it. But that's what I think. I mean, I think that the, the Jazz are a more balanced attack. I mean, yeah, this year, yeah. But as in, in the past with the teams he's went to the playoffs with, they've been strictly Donovan Mitchell offense and then defense. Not when they got Jordan Clarkson last year. No, Jordan Clarkson changed. But the year that. before, but he, and then yeah, the year before, we're talking about like we're, we're talking, talking about their playoffs. But the, we're the talking about playoffs. current situation right now, though. All right, so we're gonna see because right now, current situation right now, Donovan because Mitchell. Because even even current situation right now, it's Murray and Jokic. Don't well, current situation right now, Jokic is dominating every statistical category in his team, and Donovan Mitchell is the best player on the best team in the league record wise. But he's not dominating every category. He's not, but he's the best player on the best team in the league record wise. So what can you really say then? I can't say nothing, <laughs> but this all but this all started about who I think has more potential. I think, but you never had, Murray, you never gave a fact. To, you just said is your gut feeling. So yes, it's, it's my gut feeling. I can't prove to you that Murray's going to be better in five years. It's favoritism. It's just something that's going to happen. It's favoritism. So when it happens, it's going to be like, wow, you called it. Same thing with RJ. When it happens, okay. why you called but it? But RJ, you can give some facts as to why you think. Jamal, you Murray, I can too. His playoff performances are are impeccable. You keep but so saying are Donovan Mitchell's Mitchell's though. So no, are, I'm not saying Donovan Mitchell's no, are, but, but I'm saying Murray's that. are. Okay. Okay. And I'm saying over the two players, I would favor Murray. I love Jim. I love Donovan Mitchell. Okay. But I so, would personally favor Murray. So what you're telling me is you take out Jokic out the equation. You take him out the equation. Like Jokic. Jokic. You take Jokic out the equation. You want to start a team. You are going to favor Jamal Murray. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would. All right. Fair I enough. like Jamal Murray. Fair enough. Fair enough. I like Jamal Murray. All right. And I think he's he's going to prove a lot of people wrong. Right now, he's not getting his respect. I really like Jamal Murray, but I don't like him more than Donovan Mitchell. I can't. I do. Donovan is. Uh, I do. I mean. He's a spider. Gets himself into sticky situations. <laughs> That's not Jamal Murray. What is Jamal's nickname? Does he have a nickname? I don't know, but I really if he does have a nickname, it's GOAT. It's his nickname. Michael what? Porter Jr. would be better than him. You think so? Yeah. I don't think so. I, I like getting, wings. Getting back like, to that conversation, who would you take potential-wise out of those two guys? Honestly, I would say Murray. You know, I, I think Porter Jr. has No, you're Murray. You're Murray love I think crazy. Porter Jr. has a lot of potential. Don't get me wrong. But I think he's going to creep around that 18 to 22 points per game for his career. <clears throat> If you ask me, I'm taking the 6'10 guy who can damn near shoot from all spots of the, in the game. I'm going to take that guy, 6'10", Michael Porter Jr. I think that yeah. obviously he has Murray no, he has, a lot. Murray has proven more, but I think Michael Porter Jr. has more potential. Like, I, think I think his ceiling, ceiling is higher. Is, yeah, no, exactly. I love MPJ. I mean, I picked him to win most improved That's supposed to be their big year. three. When he gets it going. Wow, he's shooting 45% from three. Yeah, I, I picked him to be most improved player this year, you know? I picked him or Jamal Murray, and both of them might be wrong. He's, he's, Jamal he's having a, a really song? good year. But Porter Jr. probably should be most improved. I don't think they should give it to Jeremy Grant. Christian Wood oh has missed God. too many games. They could sneak in the Joker and give he him that. He jumped eight points a game. Yeah, Porter Jr. Three jumped rebounds. a lot. His efficiency numbers have spiked, too. Now they're going to have to give it to Jeremy Grant. Wow. He's been, he has the most improvement in this game. They ha- they're they going to have to. That's always a question. Like, yeah. you, so whack, Do you take into consideration <laughs> like playing on a good team for an award like that? That's or what like I that's should. That's what, that's what messes me up with like guys like Colin Sexton and De'Aaron Fox. Like, those numbers, do they really show how good of a player they really are, just how bad of a situation Well, that's like we were talking about the Bradley Beal argument. I said if Bradley Beal was but, in a situation like Devin Booker or Donovan Mitchell, I think he would be a 24, 25 he, But he's shown to score. be a 22, 23 points per game score in a playoff atmosphere, yeah. like a team that's on yeah. a winning team. Those two guys haven't really – like even Devin Booker, he now he's showing it, but before he hasn't shown us that he can do that on a playoff team. Now he's doing it. But it's just like how you interpret those awards because it's the same thing with MVP. I've said – for years, they should change MVP because it's not really given to the most valuable player every year. Like M- MIP, most improved player, if you look at it, like statistically, it should really go to Jeremy Grant or Christian Wood oh, yeah. if Christian was healthy. But like, yeah. you should also be able to take into consideration the fact that Michael Porter Jr. is playing on a, playing a big role on a winning team, a team that could end up being the best team in What's the West. What's Jeremy Conference. Grant at now, though? Probably like what, look that up. 23 points. The most per valuable game. players in the league are obviously LeBron. MPJ jumped up eight exactly. points. Yeah. It, 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 like if it, if it was really most valuable player, like it, it wouldn't be. If it was most valuable player, LeBron would have won it every year from 2007 to 2000. And Michael Jordan would have won it from 1988 yeah, exactly, to life. Exactly. Kobe probably would have won it all those years in the late 2000s. Jeremy Grant made a 10.5 point jump. He's averaging 22.5 points per game. Oh, he dropped. He was at 26 before. Yeah, I mean, I was like months but, ago. But like his efficiency also took a hit. Still efficient for a guy who's the yeah, only guy. Yeah, of team. course. But I'm just saying, like you know, Michael Porter Jr. should get a look. I think, but I, I think would it, I would I, give it to MPJ. But I think MIP, like if you look at how Jeremy's playing, like it's like you can see the improvement in That's his fair. game. Like That's you fair. can definitely. I can see, see the the same player that got a better opportunity. Honestly, his because I've game seen game these flashes even when he was in Philly. In Philly, even when he You're was in so the summer. Annoying. In his like, time in Philly, so he showed annoying. flashes. Come on, bro. Like he always looked like a good player in Philly, bro. No. He just on offense, he always looked like that defensively. On offense, it was kinda like ah. 
You can see, you could definitely see him. The, the handles got tighter. I thought he would be this. Yeah, the handles have gotten tighter. The, the jump shots got a little better. He's got a little better in the ISO. You can see the improvement. In okay, his game. but I think once he gets onto a better team, it's going to drop down to 15, 14. 100%. And, I wouldn't say 15. So, 14. when is where is really the improvement if you Well, I mean, you, you have to adapt to situation, but you can see the improvement in his game. A, a lot little of guys, bit. I think he's pretty much the same guy, though. I mean, a lot of guys can't put up 23 in a bad team if you think about it. Terrence Ross could. You think so? If he got, if he was like the he's, main option, I mean, he's the main option now. I mean, yeah, but so let's not see. All right, let, of a sample let's, size. let's see. Let's let's wait to the end season. We'll come back to that. He's the main option right now, and he comes off the bench. He's a bench. He's a bench because guy. he's a six man. Come but on. I think if you give him the green light, he could average that, no doubt. That's like bad though. Yeah, Jeremy Grant's the same way though. But then that's that should. Uh, we really straight off this list. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> instead of talking about the list, we're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Of course. The Brooklyn Nets have been phenomenal as of late, as they've been all season. James Harden has led the way because he's the best player in the NBA He right didn't now. even play the last and, two games. What's wrong with you? Uh, last game, Kevin Durant made his return. He was perfect from the field. He had 15 points. But obviously, the storyline of uh, the Nets right now is, one, they're extremely dominant, and they look like they're going to be unstoppable in the playoffs. And two... Are there injuries of concern? Because we've seen Kevin Durant already miss 22 games. Uh, He played for the first time since February 13th yesterday. James Harden has an injury, a right hamstring tightness, and he's going to be reevaluated in about two weeks. And the big three of Kyrie, KD, and Harden have only played seven games all season, and they're still the first seed at 36-16 and in the Eastern Conference. But do you guys think the Nets' injuries are a concern moving forward? I feel like they were concerned when KD and Kyrie signed with the Nets. You know, I feel like with the history of KD getting hurt, Kyrie's always injured. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, Harden was never really a guy who got injured in Houston. You know, he was a guy who always kind of like the Iron Man. He'll play a lot. But I think these concerns was granted even before when they picked up these two guys in the free agency, they always knew that injuries are going to come with these two guys because they're injury prone in the league. So I think now on this team, you see that the injuries are really the only thing that's going to stop them from playing together as a whole. But other than that, like I don't, I, it's always going to be an issue with guys who are injury prone. But I think the way they're handling it is good. I don't think they need them to play too much. Now I think Harden can sit out for a couple weeks. As far, I don't think they're chasing MVPs at this point. Katie and Harden already got their MVPs. I think at this point, for the losers like Harden, they're, they're chasing them rings. And I think that's what's really important. They have to get those rings. So I think <laughs> I think sitting, they're going to sit out and definitely play it smart. Yeah, and, I- I'm going to be honest, like, I remember when we were talking about a potential James Harden trade to the Nets, one of the things that I brought up was injuries. And then when the, they made the move and Kevin Durant was out, injuries were a concern of mine. As time has gone on as a Net fan, like, and you know I've been skeptical, the injuries really don't concern me. Like, you look at the way the Nets were able to handle Kevin Durant's injury, a lesser team would have had to rush him back because they would have needed him. The Nets looked like the best team in the NBA without Mm -hmm. Kevin Durant. Last night, without James Harden, who has been their best player this season since they got him, they looked like the most dominant team in the NBA without him. Did you guys watch the game? Like, who is stopping that team? And that's without James Harden. Which game are you talking about? The game against the Pelicans. Like, they looked unstoppable. LaMarcus Aldridge looks reinvigorated. Blake Griffin looks reinvigorated. And I'm not saying that they're going to be, like, third or fourth options, but having those guys as, like, the sixth and seventh guys coming off the bench for your team or playing, like, an 18-minute-per-night role, that is ridiculous. 
And so while injuries may be a thing that you have to take into consideration over the course of the season, the fact that now, say James Harden is out for 10 days, they could give him another 10 days to rest and they will be perfectly fine and he can get back to 100%. He doesn't have to rush back to play when he's 80% because they don't need him. Kyrie Irving can take a week off just if he wants to because they don't need him. And that's the scary part about this thing is like, I, it's going to be crazy to see what they can be when all three of them are on the court at the same time because even with just combos of two of them, they look like the most unstoppable team in basketball. And you mentioned James Harden. He's been phenomenal this season. <laughs> this is the first time in his career where he's got an injury. Usually this this stuff happens to Steph Curry, but to, to James Harden, he's been an Iron Man. He's been uh, Tony Stark. He just doesn't get injured. But this is the first time that he's actually gotten hurt like this and I'll be honest, I am worried about the injuries. I am worried that uh, one of these top guys are going to get hurt. I will say this. If Kyrie gets hurt, but Harden and KD are playing, I have 100% confidence that they will win the NBA championship still. But if it's a duo of Kyrie and Harden or Kyrie and KD, I don't have that same confidence that they can win it all against a healthy Lakers team. I think Harden and KD with Kyrie out gives me that confidence, but not Kyrie with Harden or Kyrie with I'm um, not not Kyrie. You're basically saying you need your top two dogs. Yes, I want Harden and KD. They'll be perfectly fine. If, you know they can beat anybody. The two of them, Kyrie kind of gives me some skepticism, and we've seen before that, you know, Kai does in the regular season he tends to stay healthy. It's usually in the playoffs where he does get hurt. You know, in Boston when they got the first seed, he got hurt. And Cleveland in the finals, he got hurt. So as long as KD and Harden can stay upright, I'm totally fine with it. In the finals, I think they can beat any team in the Eastern Conference in a seven-game series, even if one of their top guys are out. Because I think LaMarcus Aldridge gives them so much depth. Blake Griffin, Joe Harris, uh, Jeff Green, Nick Claxton, Bruce Brown, and Dinwiddie, if he comes back. I mean, their team is, is stacked and loaded. And... Injuries to me are a concern. What's not a concern is chemistry. I think chemistry is there. I think KD and Harden mesh well, perfectly, like it's a perfect fit. Kyrie and Harden have shown the ability to be fine on their own. And even when Kyrie and KD are out, Harden has shown the ability to mesh with everybody else on the team perfectly to a T. So the chemistry is not an issue. It's just the injuries. And that's always a concern. You know, Kyrie gets hurt, and we know KD has that history. Harden doesn't have that history, but it looks like it's starting to catch up to him at least now. So we'll see what happens. If if two of them get hurt at the same time, then it's a concerning thing. Uh, I think that, you know, if James Harden is out there, he is the most suited to be the be like the one player on the team out there. He's shown it over the course of, you know, I think he played a handful of games without yeah. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. But I think with any combination of two out of the three of them, they would still be the favorites to win the championship at this point. Plus, with with the addition of LaMarcus Aldridge, DeAndre Jordan is out of the rotation now. Yeah, he doesn't play and no more, right? He was a major liability, so the fact that they have been able to, between Nick Claxton, Blake Griffin, and LaMarcus Aldridge have been able to ice him out of the rotation has yeah, been a huge crazy. plus. Yo, I would be sick if I was DJ. I, I don't chilling. think he cares. He'll, he's a, on the championship favor right now. now. As he's a competitor, though, per year. as a competitor, though, not playing, it's just like you sit there like, damn, I kind of want to be out there. But, yeah, no, I, I think 
Yeah, I think, like, it's just, like, in a regular season, I don't think injuries cause a concern because, like, you guys have the team where you guys have the guys who can carry for, like, Harden can carry for a long amount of time. I think just playoff games, you know, games are every other day or every other two days. It's going to be tough in a situation like that, losing your top guys. I don't think, like, I don't think you will have a problem losing your top guys to the teams that you can beat. You know, like, but I think against the heavy hitters, the Lakers, the Clippers, like the Bucks, losing one or two guys is really going to put you guys in a hole because those are the guys you really need to get out of those series. That's why I think, like, having these injuries now, for them to come back later on, I think it's good, you know, get these injuries out the way. But, like, in a, with an injury, with Kyrie's injuries history, like he said, him losing him for one to two weeks, Katie, we saw losing him for one to two weeks, it really can stun you and put you in a bad position. And that's something you want to do, don't want to do, especially come playoff time. I do believe the Nets have four All Stars. I think Lamarcus Aldridge is still an All Star player. I do think so. <laughs> I do I think don't so. Know. I'm done, bro. Blake Griffin no. is Blake Griffin is not, so, but I think Lamarcus. So they're Aldridge a super, super, is. super team. I they are. Don't I don't think Lamarcus. <laughs> Aldridge. And I think Lamarcus Aldridge. At I'm dead serious. I yeah. think Lamarcus Aldridge adds a different dimension to the Nets offense because he can stretch out the floor. Well, that's a different story. No, no. Yeah, I'm saying I, he's an all star. But you I have think to stop, this bro. thing. If <laughs> let's say two out of two of the guys are out, right? Let's say it's Kyrie and Lamarcus Aldridge only, and the the other guys. Lamarcus Aldridge averages twenty in that situation. I think Who are they playing? St- he's still capable of putting up twenty and ten each night. He's still capable of playing at an all star level. I believe that. I don't think he does. I, I disagree on that. I, I think he's still capable of playing at that level. I think. I that, mean, last last year in San Antonio, he was averaging eighteen and nine. So it's not crazy to think that. No, but I ju- I don't think that he would be the guy to pick up the scoring load in that case. Who would pick up the scoring load? I think Jeff Green and Joe Harris would see their numbers jump more than Lamarcus Aldridge. <laughs> Jeff, hold on, what? Huh? Yes. Je- Jeff Green would see a a bigger uprising in his numbers than Lamarcus. <laughs> yes. I don't know why that's such a crazy thing. I think it is. <laughs> he looked at me. That's I'm not laughing at your take. I'm laughing because he looked at me like I was supposed to say something. Like you I said, think LA. I think Joe Harris, maybe. But you said LA. You said definitely Jeff Joe Green. Harris. Definitely I don't think Joe Harris. Joe and Harris I'm not is, saying Joe any Harris of these guys. Sometimes I'm not saying I'm not saying any of these guys would be all. I think it honestly just be Kyrie off. taking more he's shots. Been, he's been like the most efficient player in the league this season. Yeah, because he gets a lot of open shots. But I'm talking about if Joe Harris is like the second option. Well, that's the thing. It wouldn't be like a, think, it wouldn't be like a one-two option thing. They have so many weapons that it I think you'll do what that. you see when you guys played us. You know, Kyrie just takes a lot more shots. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's how it's just gonna go. Like, yeah, if Lamarcus Aldridge takes a lot of shots per game, he's gonna average twenty and ten. Yeah, but I don't think he would ever get that amount of shots to score twenty points. If a game it's if it's point. only two, if it's only Kyrie and Aldridge and Katie and Harden it's, are out, but it's, it's not just, just Kyrie and Aldridge. Like that's no, the but thing. I'm saying this is the thing. Aldridge is still capable of playing at an all-star level. You think level. so, for real? He's not going to show it because they're going to have KD and Kyrie. He's the third <laughs> option on that team. Right now, he's the third option. Um, I don't know that he's the third. I don't know that they have a solidified third option the way they run their offense. Yes, I know, because they pass the ball a lot. But I'm saying if you need a bucket, he's the third guy you're going to go to. If, if the Nets need a bucket, you're not going. I'm talking about with Harden out. If you need a bucket and Kyrie and KD are not on the floor and Hart is not on the floor and it's the bench unit with Harris involved, I know he's not coming off the bench, but with him involved, you're not going to Harris for a bucket. You're going to Aldridge for a bucket. In, in the, the isolation, maybe. If you're drawing up a play, the ball's going to Joe Harris. With the play drawn, but no plays drawn, you need a basket. You need to give it to somebody. 
It's going to Aldridge in the East. In the East, uh, but I like I just like how many how many different you know would would bees are we gonna have to apply to this situation for him to be an all star? Like obviously, if you no, take I'm not the saying, three best I'm players off the still, team, I have a question. He can still play at an all star level in San Antonio. He wasn't trying like that, but last year in San Antonio, he averaged eighteen and nine and. Obviously, now he's not going to be an all-star because they have KD, Harden, and Kyrie. And even with one of the big guys out, he's not going to step into that role. But he's still very capable of dropping 20 and 10 on any given night. I have a question. On any given night. What's Spencer's Dinwiddie's role when he comes back? You've seen him play more extensively than this guy. You know, he's a new fan. But you've seen how reckless he can get. Sometimes he gets a little out of hand. It becomes a ball stopper. What's his role come in if he comes back this year? I, I was always the guy that said he would have been, like, <laughs> the guy I would have looked to trade at the deadline just because I don't know how perfectly he fits in mm-hmm. this system. But the way they move the ball, he would get his touches. He would get his. He would definitely see a drop in his numbers because he would be the fourth best isolation player on the team when he came back. And and even that's like, you know, his numbers would take a big hit, yeah. but he gives you, especially on, an, on a team with injury concerns, he gives you an option, uh, almost like a safety valve more than anything. Would he be a part of your closing lineup? Because it gets tricky now. I don't now. know about that. I don't, I don't think he would just because you, you're you definitely going to have Kyrie Harden Durant out yeah, there. Yeah, those is. You need and a, that was between you, Joe Harris, you L.A., You need Clarkson. a big out there. Yeah. It, I guess it goes by who you play. Because if you play in Philly, you, you need a big out there. Without a doubt. 100%. You play in the uh, Bucks, the you, need Bucks a big you, need out, you need a big out there. So it's like. And then it comes down to that four spot. Like if I'm playing, if I'm playing the Bucks. I probably want another big, like, I would probably want Blake Griffin or Jeff Green or Claxton. Like, I would want two of those guys out there just because I would want to clog the paint more. Yeah. It's, same, it's kind of the same thing with Philly, depending on the personnel matching up. Like, I don't think Dinwiddie fits in that end-of-game lineup just because it would be so much of, like, his best skill is isolation scoring, and you have three better isolation scorers on the floor than him. So I just don't know how he fits in that end of game lineup personally. Aldridge is averaging thirteen five and three. I've seen that, bro. On ten field goal attempts per game with uh, the Brooklyn Nets, you're telling me if he doesn't have like how many 16, of them are wide open though? I mean, that's what he's gonna get with the Nets. If if not but, a, but, but, not but if we're Harden talking about if, yeah, if Harden out. and Katie are not out. If I mean, out. If, if yeah, they're not gonna be that wide open. But then again, he's gonna shoot about eighteen times a game. You think he's gonna get to twenty? Yes, on eighteen shots. Yes. Yes, 100%. 100%. That's interesting. So you still think he's an all-star? I think he can play on an all-star level still. I think being able to put up all-star stats and being an all-star are two different things. You could force almost any player in the top 50% of the NBA to put up all-star numbers, that but I don't true. think that makes him an all-star. I mean... Like, you could shoehorn anybody Aldridge, into an offensive system to be uh, put up all-star numbers, but I don't think that makes them an all-star but player. But that's where you got to watch, though, because, you know, we, we could say Jeremy Grant is putting up all-star numbers, but we know that he's not an all-star. Agreed. Yeah. Like, LaMarcus Aldridge, I think he does contribute to winning. I really I would do agree, think so. I would agree with that, but, but he the, wouldn't contribute to winning if he was putting up 18 shots a game. He contributes to winning in the role no, that he's I'm playing. No, I'm saying if, if it's just, let's say two of the top guys are injured for the Nets— he can definitely play that second role on the Nets. And you don't think Jeremy Grant can't? No, he's not better than Aldridge. Because I think I'm pretty confident if we put up his numbers with Denver last year and then we pull up L.A.'s numbers, they're probably the same. 
I don't think he could do what Aldridge does. But can LA do what all what he does? Guard perimeter players, no. But Grant can't guard centers, so it's kind of obsolete. What what center can LA guard? He did a great job on Anthony Davis in the playoffs. <laughs> when they played, when was that? What was that? When he was on the Pelicans, still that, that was a minute that ago. That was when his first run in the playoffs, though. Come on, we talk about right. But I'm Come saying on. Lamarcus Aldridge is not a bad defender. He's but you're telling me that, like, as of today, like that's two years removed. Maybe three years removed. I mean, from he's that. not a he's not a he's not some like thirty six year old though. He's still older. Yeah, he's an older player. And this is this ain't no Embiid ain't no AD. Okay, but you're naming one center in the Eastern Conference. Giannis Embiid Vucevic. That's the guy you're gonna have to get through though. But Giannis, I mean, we played them. Vucevic had thirty. So I mean, LA played. Yeah, Vucevic is good. <laughs> like, that's is what I'm good. saying though. That's in the East. But dude. I think Lamarcus Aldridge is not a liability on defense. Okay. I think in in the pick and roll situations, yes, he is, but. In terms of guarding a player in the post, I think he still has the strength and size to guard players in the post. That's the problem, though, is the pick and roll. Like, so many teams are going to the pick and roll. Is the I problem with DeAndre Jordan. In. But even Claxton, he doesn't give you that dimension on off- offense that LA yeah, gives you. That's where the tricky part is. But I think he's just fine on offense with the, with the guys he's going to be out there with, with Harden, Kyrie, KD. Like, he gives you more than enough offensively just running the floor. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we disagree. I think LA still has that in him. And I still believe in L.A. I think Blake Griffin's ship has kind of sailed in that aspect. But I still think that Blake is one of the better point forwards off the bench in the NBA. Probably the best, in my, in my opinion. He's averaging like five assists with the Nets off the bench. Yeah, for their roles, they're, you're probably not going to find a better player in the league at the roles they're playing right now. No, not at all. I agree 100%. And that's the thing about this team. Like, it's the depth now. Beyond just having like the, be- I think beyond like having eight, the best nine guys, you could yeah, run, right? Beyond having the best top three in the league, now they have probably the best like eight nine, seven eight nine in the league. All this to beat stuff. The Chicago Bulls tough, man. are a team that recently made a move to get better and getting Nikola Vucevic. They also uh, traded for Daniel Tice, so they traded for two centers. They completely removed and kicked out Wendell Carter Jr. and Daniel Gafford. But okay, uh, this topic's not about the Vucevic trade. Though. How you not gonna say Troy Brown Jr. in that? I like Troy Brown Jr. So I'll good say defender. That. Say that. Say that man name. This topic is about Patrick Williams and the Bulls' young core. Do you think Patrick Williams can be a future star in the NBA? And do you believe in this Chicago Bulls' young core moving forward? I'll start with you because you're a Bulls fan. Uh, I do believe. I call him Baby Kawhi. You know, he's he's a young guy, big hands. Locks up on the uh, defensive end. He can shoot the three ball a little bit. His handle is sneaky better than what I imagined it would be. You know, he has a really good ball handle. He can make some moves in isolation. I think it's really just going to come to time. Like, what? how long is it going to take for him to reach? I know wings, for some wings, it takes a long time for them to truly adapt to the NBA. You know, like we've seen Paul George, Kawhi, like it took him a minute to really. Not RJ. Okay, <laughs> like it takes. Well, those are stars. He's nothing. It takes you know wings a couple of years to get it in play. But I think it really is going to come down to Billy Donovan. You know, can he get the Kobe Whites, the Patrick Williams, and hopefully somebody else? Can he get those guys to really reach their potential? If Patrick Williams can reach the potential, then we can be a we can yeah, with you guys. I don't know yet. We got to wait for y'all to break up. But once. Yeah. Yeah, but we can be a top five team in the East with Zach. He's still 26. He still has room to go. Nikola Vucevic, his game is going to last a little long, so he still has room to go. Kobe White, we still have Lori. Lori still has a lot of potential left, so I think this team is definitely rooted to be a really great team. It just comes down to Billy Donovan and the player development team. 
Yeah, as much as it's like a, it's a big leap to get from where we're at to what I'm going to say, the two guys that come to mind are, like you said, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. It's like the two the two comparisons that you would give right now of like what in a dream scenario, what you would want Patrick Williams to become. But you look at Paul George, you look at Kawhi Leonard, it took both of them like three to four years to become like the all-star players that they eventually became. But before that, they were essentially what Patrick Williams is, a great defender that has that raw talent offensively but still needs some developing. But like you said, Indiana built a great team around Paul George that battled it out with LeBron James every year in Miami pretty much. In San Antonio, the Spurs surrounded Kawhi with probably the greatest ecosystem you could probably be in to develop a player. It remains to be seen if the Bulls are going to turn into that. Like you said, I like the young core they have. I like Levine and Vucevic. Well, I, I don't know if they'll ever be a championship core. They'll be that kind of core. Like I don't think the Pacers ever had a championship core, but the team that they built brought them into the in deep into the playoffs every year and you know they ran into the buzzsaw of LeBron but they were always competing and they were in those playoff environments that you need to grow in and I think starting with this year the Bulls can be a playoff team while a, a low seed they could start to get that playoff experience next year get into the 6-5 seed range and and win a playoff round get to the second round and if you could start to build that ecosystem around him I really think you could see Patrick Williams grow into something special try and get Alonzo man Indiana, I, I think, that. was never a true contender because Danny Granger got hurt around the time that Paul George ascended to become a really great player. Um, Chicago's not making the playoffs this year, though. What the? They aren't going to make it this year. And what do you mean by that? They're not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> like, is it ten seed? Like a play? Is a play in a playoff spot or not? Mm, maybe a plan, but I don't. Maybe ten seed is ten seed playing. It yeah. is a plan. Yeah. Okay. Seven, seven through ten is in the. Yeah. They're tenth right now, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we are. Yeah, 10. they are. Okay, so yeah, maybe a plan, but they're not making it over the Knicks. No way. So you keep talking. So th- this <laughs> is what I'm going to say. Right. Patrick Williams, to me, is he looks the part. He's averaging 10 points per game, four rebounds, shooting 39% from three and 48% from the field. Coming out of college, we did not know if he was going to be this great of a shooter out. this fast. <laughs> we thought he, I, well, at least I thought he was going to be a guy who probably shot 33% from the three-point range or three-point line. I know when he got drafted or Rev walked out of the room, he didn't want Patrick Williams, as did a lot of Bulls fans. I think the consensus around NBA fans was that Patrick Williams was not going to be good. He has exceeded everybody's expectations. And I think next season, in his sophomore year, he's going to average about 15 points per game. You know, I, I see that type of 6.5 point jump from him. And right now, the Bulls, even though they have young players, I'm not sure who really is in their young core, mm. right? Because Zach Levine, he's a part of it. Nikola Vucevic, he's in their core, not young core, but he's in their core now. Uh, Patrick Williams and then Kobe White. It looks like Laurie Markin is heading out sooner rather than later. Probably. Uh, Troy Brown Jr., let's see if they're going to keep him around. Daniel Tice, how long is he going to be there? And Thaddeus Young. He's, he's not a part of their core, I would say. So they really only have about four players that are really legitimately a part of their core. I think missing the playoffs is the best case scenario because you could land one of the top players in this draft. The thing about that, though, is it's top four protected. So we would have to land in the top four to get that draft pick. Mm. So if we don't, it's like, damn. Oh, so you guys should try to make the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, it's 50, pretty 50 much right over now. for you guys. Yeah. You guys have no. I mean, hope. we get in the play and we can 100% beat you guys. 100%. 
Like, without a doubt. And yeah. Charlotte is falling. We can beat Charlotte without LaMelo. But I, I do think that Patrick Williams is a future star. I think he's going to be an elite defender in the NBA. I think he's, his offense is going to be formidable. Right now, we see Mikel Bridges. Mikel Bridges is averaging about 14 points per game and giving you great defense every single night. Do I think Patrick Williams can be a better Mikel Bridges, an even better Mikel Bridges? I 100% believe that. The weird thing about this entire Vucevic trade, though, is that Zach Levine with Vucevic has been averaging 19 points, four rebounds, four assists, shooting 38% from the field and 24% from three. The Bulls have not been winning because Zach Levine has just not been playing well with Vucevic on the floor. I think he's still adjusting to playing with Vucevic, but once that timetable is done with and he finally adjusts and knows how he's going to play with Vucevic, I think this team can be a very good team. Not even not even just that. I think the adjustment was made when we played Brooklyn. I think coaching staff decided we're going to run the offense through Vucevic. I think in the games Zach was struggling in, we kind of ran it through Zach and kind of let Vucevic play. But because Vucevic is such a great passer out the post, we decided we're just going to run the offense through Vucevic. And you saw it, you know, the 32-point explosion, 17 rebounds. I think it was five assists. But that was the game where it was like, all right, the t- not uh, Zach might not have been comfortable yet. He's still adjusting. But the team in general was a little bit more comfortable in running the offense through a big man, through a post player. So I think that's going to be the adjustment moving forward. And like you said, we have a lot of guys who are very – they can be in our – in our core, but we don't know yet in our core. You know, Kobe White is still a wait and see, but he's probably in our core. Zach is our guy. We made that clear. Lori's out the door. He might stay. We don't know. Troy Brown Jr. is still a wait and see, but he's probably going to be in our young core. And hopefully, if we don't make the playoffs, I hope we land the top four pick. If we do make the playoffs, we can make some noise. But we have, you know, we have we have some good money where we can get a guy next year in free agency and make some noise. But we need, like, it's like we need a point guard. Like, we need a point guard really bad because Sandoresky is, like, not it. I we would need love Lonzo for you yo, guys. I, I'm, yo, we tried to get him at the deadline. I was so mad. What do you mean about making noise at the play in the playoffs? Oh, like we can definitely we can winning a game. Yeah, like we can if we ten ten and seven play right. Yeah, no, 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 no. So it's it's nine and ten. So okay. if the season ended right now, the Bulls would play the Pacers. Oh, and they're banged up. We can beat them. The winner of that game would play the winner of. No, no, no. We'll play the loser of Celtics It'll be Knicks. Them. We'll be the Knicks. And then the winner of that game would get the eight seed. That's so much extra. Then we would play we would be in the playoffs right now. With Vucevic, right? We can I do beat think the it would be I do think it would be a fun game to watch the Knicks and the Bulls. You think so? In we a play in a playoff. Us versus Tom. I think because Tom and Thibodeau's right there, it's like it would just be a great storyline. No, we'd kill them. No, RJ would th- drop thirty. I, oh, I hope it happens. You really I, think RJ oh, would drop 30 play. on us? Patrick Williams is going to put him in prison. I yeah, hope okay. they play no, so not. bad. I really do, because he's talking like, bro, they have Julius Randle. I'm not, come on. Who's who's guarding? Uh, Julius Randle is better than everybody. And, and then as a reward. Season, you believe that? This season. You believe he's better than Vucevic? Statistically? Statistically what? Yes. <laughs> Statistically what? He's contributing to winning. I mean, he had a better team. The dude played for Orlando. They have five players. Talent-wise, not that much different. As a reward, whoever out of the Knicks or Bulls wins that game, they get a treat to play the Nets in the first Knicks round. Were pro- really? Nick, Knicks were projected to be the worst team in the NBA, one of the worst teams. I even thought they were. No, they weren't. Be. It was OKC. I said one of the oh. worst. I'll tell you what. If we do play you guys and you beat me, I swear to God, I will buy a Julius Randle jersey. Oh, okay. I would, you can I would, do that. I would buy it and I will wear it on the show for a week straight. I mean, you're going to look silly. 
No, I'm not. Cause we're not gonna win. We're not gonna lose. <laughs> yeah, okay. We're, we're not gonna lose. You're underestimating the Knicks, but okay. I think we're all in. We all agree here. Patrick Williams has a really bright future, yeah. and we'll see what the Chicago Bulls do. If you guys don't make the playoffs, and you don't get the top four <laughs> pick, then you guys are we're gonna in for trouble. Going for a, so where does the pick land? You just don't have a first round pick. Yeah, no, we lose it. Oh yeah, that's it. Be has tough. to be top four, especially in this draft because you traded it to, for Vucevic. I'm assuming we, we traded two of them things, but I don't one think was that's protected. a bad trade. I don't know. It depends. I mean, we if we end up landing there, that's going to be hilarious because now we're bringing in another star in the you making. Need like a, you need like a Pelicans-esque luck. No, we need like the Bulls in 08 luck. Yeah. Like legit, we need that. They could get Jalen Suggs. That could be game-changing. If we get he one, we're picking really that man. Fit. I don't think you'll get one. No, if you get one, you, <laughs> you pick straight Kate. to that guy. Yeah. If we get Jalen Suggs, that'd be cool too. I think, I think Suggs is going to go too. And then after that, it's kind of up in the air a little bit. I don't more. know. For me, the prospect rankings in terms of the top guys, I think I, I have Cade one. I have Kaminga two. I have Mobley three. I have Suggs four and Green five. I think it depends. I think I think for any other guy other than Cade, it really depends on team. I think it'll change a lot as we get closer to the draft too. But there's such a long Yeah, a lot of people don't have Kaminga at two. Some people have Evan Mobley at two. And Mobley offers a lot of versatility. I'm assuming That's they're going to have like a full combine and everything, or at least they're planning on it this summer. They should. By that time, it, it should be a, a People thing. should be vaccinated so, by that time. Yeah. A lot of people should. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I, I wish the playoffs would play out like this because I would love to see the Knicks and the Bulls play in a playing game. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an easy win for the Knicks. Another rookie that's been playing really well as of late is Alexis Pokazewski from the OKC Thunder. And, I mean, when you watch him play, you can see that this guy, some of the things he does, he's not supposed to be able to do at his height. He's seven foot, but he can handle the ball. He can shoot. I mean, he's a really good passer. This guy looks like a unicorn. He looks like a Kristaps Porzingis clone, even though I think coming into the league, Kristaps was more ready. To start off the year, I mean, hit, I mean, Pokashevsky's stats right now, He's averaging about eight points, five rebounds, two assists per game. He's shooting 34% from the field and 29% from the three-point line. He went to the G League, and in the G League, he averaged eight points, seven (laughs) rebounds. He shot 31% from the field and 27% from the three-point line. So he was bad to start the year and in the G League, but he recently was brought back up by OKC, and he said that he improved a lot. And he had to get used to the quickness and the pace of the American game. And it seems like he's finally adjusting to the game. In his last five games, he's averaging 18, 5, and 3, shooting 45% from the field and 46% from three. He dropped 21 on the Mavs, 20 on the Suns, and 25 on the Charlotte Hornets. Who do you think Alexis Pokazewski is going to be? Do you think this is just a hot streak? Or do you think you really see something in this guy? I think he's not. I don't even think he's a Porzingis clone. I think he's the next generation of bigs coming in. You know, the mobile, the Evan Mobley's, the Shet Holmgren, the, the very skinny mobile bigs. Because I think with Porzingis, he has he's a little flat footed. You know, he doesn't have that bounce. I think what's what's this guy's name? Poku. We just call him Poku. Yeah. yeah, I think with Poku, you could see that like he has a little more bounce to him. He's a little more jumpy, and he has a little more vertical than most bigs at his size. But you can see it all. You know, unicorns. Are the guys that you just can't explain. He's kind of like 
seven three. You know, he can shoot the ball. He has a little. You can see the flashes at the playmaking. You can see the defensive potential, the help side defense. You can see it all. And I think this guy is in the right position. OKC has shown that they can develop talent. I think he's in a perfect position to grow. And I think in terms of unicorn, yeah, because this is a guy we have. This is like he like he he fits the mold of like a KD Dirk. Like he's built like KD. Has the little Dirk jump shot. Like, this guy is extremely different. And I think OKC's got a bright one. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Like, we had the same kind of conversation about Moses Brown, I think, last week. Um, you know, I don't know if he's exactly a diamond in the rough. I don't know if he'll ever reach, like, that level where you could call him a diamond in the rough. But I think this is another guy you could see as a part of their rotation over the next coming years. They have all these draft picks. And I think it's just another example of finding a guy with potential in, you know, I believe he was a, a late-round pick, right? 17th pick in the draft. So it's not like, you know, they're finding good value at the places that they're picking at. They're finding good value in their undrafted guys. So I think that this is more of a, a good sign reflecting on the organization and what they're doing and their scouting staff as they approach 34 picks over the next, I think it's like 34 picks over the next seven years or something like that which is ridiculous. So to see that they're able to find guys like Moses Brown, they're able to find guys like Poku, like Teo Maladon, like it just goes to show how, how good of a job their scouting department is doing. And now these are guys who I think could play roles on cheap contracts over the next couple of years as they're bringing in star-level talent with these high-level picks that they're picking at. And I just think it's a great sign for the direction the organization is headed in, not only scouting, but also development. You could see the development in, in Poku's game from game one to now. You could see when he went down to the G League, even though the numbers weren't eye-popping, he said it, the coaching staff has said it, it's the best thing that could have happened to him. It really opened his eyes. So they know how to handle their guys. They know how to get the most out of their guys. And I just think the organization looks great right now, heading into a situation where they're going to need it. Yeah, I, I wanted to draft Pokuszewski. You know, I thought Poku had unlimitless potential because he's seven foot, he can handle the ball and he can shoot. Every single time I start a my league in 2K, that's one of the guys I draft. Because on 2K, he develops into a superstar all the time. You know, Poku is he develops into that type of player. I think that he has immense talent. I think he has way more talent than Moses Brown. I think Moses Brown is good, but I don't think the talent is there with Poku. I think Poku just offers a different element to his game. Because he's such a great shooter, obviously the percentages don't show that. But when you see his shooting stroke and his form, you can see that he appears to be a, a guy who's going to be able to shoot the ball really well at the next level. And you mentioned the guys that OKC has brought in. I love Teo Maladon's game. Since Shea has been out, he's taken that lead point guard role. And even when Shea was playing, Teo Maladon has been playing that point guard role. And he's been really excelling in that role. But, man, I think Poku, right now, I don't know if it's a hot streak or if it's just hey, this is how he's going to be for the rest of the season. But I believe he's one of, in one of the games, I think he was the first player to do that since Kevin Durant. Like So he's in some pretty good company when you get into Kevin Durant company. Like That's some that's amazing company to be in, but very nice motion on his shot. He has good handle. He shows flashes as a passer. I'm not sure about his defense because he's slow to guard. He's too slow to guard wings and guards, and he's way too skinny to guard big men. I mean, he has to put some muscle on him, you know, next offseason. 
But, I mean, I think they really got something special in Poku. I think Minnesota drafted him and they traded him to OKC. You're right. I'm pretty – yeah, they they traded him to OKC. I like them going to Minnesota. There's another guy who got drafted who's European that I really like, Leandro Balmero, that he has not played, played yet. yet. Yeah, he hasn't played yet. He hasn't played yet. I think he's gonna, probably going to play next year, but I like Didn't him Didn't I trade him? Yes. And, and the crazy thing is he's only 19 years old, and you talked about putting weight on. I remember – just an example, Jared Allen with the Nets. I knew you could see how much potential Jared Allen had, but it was always a question of how is he going to fit defensively because he wasn't quick enough to guard threes and fours, but he wasn't big enough to guard fives. And it was always if he could just put on another 20 pounds of muscle, he would be great. And he's now putting on that muscle, yep. and you saw what he was doing with the Nets. You see what he's doing with the Cavs now. So, you know, give him a little bit of time. He's only 19 years old. He's got a lot of time in an NBA program to get his body where it needs to be. And I think he can he can be at least, you know, a, a really solid role player for this team moving forward. So, Teo Melendon and Alexis Pogoszewski are the first players in OKC history to score 25-plus points in a game each uh, that are teenagers. Wow. And Alexis Pogoszewski has already set the franchise record for most threes hit in a game by a rookie. I'm not. I'm trying to find the Kevin Durant thing because I know there was. Some no, I just Kevin seen Durant it on thing. Twitter. Yeah, I've seen it on Twitter too. I don't think I could really find it, but I mean, I know he was in that type of company. But both Teo Melodone and Alexis Pokashevsky are really talented. But Poku, I could see him becoming the NBA's next unicorn, setting that foundation for guys like Chet Holmgren when they come into the league. Guys who can handle the ball and shoot and pass. I mean, we are entering a new era in the NBA, and I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. 100% agree. The Phoenix Suns yesterday beat the Utah Jazz in a really close game. It went into overtime. And Great right game. now they are 36-14. and 14. They're the second seed in the Western Conference. They're only one and a half game behind the Utah Jazz for first place. And do you think that they are a legitimate threat in the Western Conference? Can they make the NBA Finals? Can they beat these top teams? What do you think? They're my sixth best team in the West. Six? Yeah. I want to hear I want to hear the six. I know four of them, but Those I want to know who the fifth team is. I think I can guess. Go ahead. Can I guess? Go ahead, go ahead. Lakers, uh-huh. Clippers, yeah. Jazz, yeah. Nuggets, yeah. Trailblazers? Yes. I I I will have the Trailblazers above them and not not because I think experience matters and I think then uh, I think Phoenix depth isn't as deep as these other teams, I think they can they run in like a, a cool seven eight come playoff time. I don't I don't trust their young time, and it's hard to it's like for me it's just a with Phoenix it's just about who's gonna bank on the young guys performing and who's not, and I I, I can't bank on the young guys performing because these other top teams have guys who have shown to get it done in the playoffs. But I think this is definitely a stepping stone for them, you know, being a top three seed in the West and. Shout out to Chris Paul because he's really the main catalyst of this coming in and setting that foundation up for these guys and helping these young guys produce. I think Michael Bridges' development this year, Devin Booker's development, I think getting Dre Crowder was also good too. DeAndre Ayton's going to be big for them. I just think in terms of matchups, I don't think they run deep where they can go into playoffs and they can beat these other teams. But for the regular season, shout out to them. They performed admirably. Monty Williams is back on the map, and I think that's good. And I think this is definitely a sign that they're going to be around for a very long time. Phoenix, they are legit contenders. And the fact that you put Portland over them is disrespectful. I have to say that's disrespectful. 
the fact that you put Utah over them, I think I can accept it, but I'm putting Phoenix over Utah. And the fact that you're putting the Clippers, known chokers, over Phoenix, I can't accept that. Oh, boy. I can't accept that at all. The only teams I will accept are the Lakers and Denver over the Suns. And even Denver, I'm hesitant on. They're seventh in points per game. Mm. They're ninth in three-point percentage. They're third in assists and sixth in turnovers. So they protect the ball well. They shoot the three-point ball well. And they score a lot of points. And on defense, they're fifth in opponent points per game. They're ninth in opponent field goal per game. And third in opponent three-point percentage per game. They held Utah to 25% from three. They shot 11 for 44. (laughs) This season, Utah is hitting the three-point shot at a historic rate. More than any other team in NBA history. And the Suns limited them to 25% from the three. They have a top 10 offensive and defensive rating. And in Devin Booker's last 10 games, he's averaging 30 points, 5 rebounds, and 4 assists. And it's not even like his efficiency has skyrocketed. He's shooting the same efficiency that he's been shooting the entire year. I think he's finally figuring out how to play with Chris Paul. And I think Devin Booker is a primetime performer. You know, when he gets into the playoffs, are you betting that Devin Booker is going to shrink and not live up to the moment and not live up to the hype? I think he's gonna he's gonna show out. Where are you like actually? I, I want to ask you: Do you think? Oh, that, you put me on the Do you the think that Devin Booker is not a primetime performer? I don't know. He I hasn't just, shown I just it. Have to see it. Yeah, I mean, you, I can't, think, you can't say he is because he hasn't really been in a primetime I mean, moment. Off my gut feeling, I think he's a primetime oh, right. performer. I, 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 I'm not answering. I can't answer. We know that Chris Paul in the playoffs takes. He's also a, a choker too. He's not a choker. That's that's just a false narrative. If you if you actually go deep and you look at stats, Chris Paul is actually very good in the playoffs. He still choked when the Clippers choked. He had he played great in the he closeout. This, game. He, you said you said the Clippers are a choke. You're talking about Kawhi and them. Kawhi and Chris Paul have the same blown three one leads. Yes, but that's different. What's that's different? different because in the closeout game, Chris Paul played great. Kawhi played really bad. So did Paul George. In every single closeout but, game, if you if you look at all of Chris Paul's playoffs, you're just talking about a closeout no, game. Though you have to win three straight. The, if you look at all of his series, Chris Paul plays well in the playoffs. Okay, that's but, a false but wait, narrative. wait, but wait, but you said Kawhi played bad in one game. For the series, though, he played incredible. He did everything he could in that series. The team just choked. The same with Chris Paul. You saying Chris okay, Paul? Okay, so hold on, hold on. You saying Chris Paul that's played different. great? Hold on, hold on. The team choked. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Did Kawhi choke in the playoffs last year? Or did he just have one bad game? He had one bad game. Okay, so he so I think he, he, dom- so we're he dominated separating Dallas. the player from the team. The, the team, team choked. choked. The team but choked. But Kawhi didn't choke. But you said the Clippers are choked, and you said you said as if Chris Paul hasn't choked before. He's been in a choking. No, because as a team, they have choked. But he he knows what that feels like. But Chris Paul plays well in the playoffs. So does Kawhi. It's not like he plays bad. Same okay, thing with right. James Harden. James Harden okay, plays right. well in the playoffs. They lose, but he plays well in the playoffs for the most part. That's fair. So but that's you, a false but narrative. You, but you said I'm call you out on your false narrative no, no, right but, now. Uh, but in, in Riv's defense, it is. I think unfair to say the Clippers are a choke and Kawhi Leonard is a choke, but like then shouldn't I didn't Chris say Kawhi Leonard was a choke. You said the Clippers. You said, said but Doc Clippers, Rivers though. is no longer there, so stop, don't don't credit but, that with but them Paul anymore. Paul George is. But should but shouldn't Chris Paul have to take some of that responsibility from the Clippers as well then? Because if you look at it, like with the Clippers in their playoff series, they were always hurt. They were never they never had a healthy team outside that year. Outside when they had a when outside when they uh, blew the three one lead of Houston. But that year, I mean, Josh Smith went crazy. You lost. They lost to Josh Smith. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but he went crazy in that game. But I remember Chris Paul has played phenomenal in multiple <clears throat> playoff series in multiple. What was your question it's again? It's not. I mean, 
I was going with my point, but you, you interrupted me because I, I had to tell you that Chris Paul is not bad in the playoffs because he's not. I never bad said in the playoffs. he was. You said he's a choke. He's not a choker. He did choke. A choker means you're not good in the playoffs. No, that's, no it doesn't. Yes, you called Chris Paul a choke. No, I said he choked. He's choked before. You said you said the Clippers are choking. I said he choked your, before. Your first statement was not that he's choked before. You said he's a choke. Which that means, doesn't make which, sense. Yeah, I didn't say he that. He did say that. I, I probably I said I probably said, said he choked before. I, oh, I said he choked. Well, let's see. We could run back the tape. But Chris Paul, I know he's going to perform well in the playoffs. There's no doubt about that. Okay. He's one of the better fourth quarter players in the entire NBA. When you need him to get a bucket, he's going to get that bucket. He's going to put his team in the best position to succeed. Then DeAndre Ayton, he's giving you 15 and, 15 and 11. And in the playoffs, I think his defense is still going to be there. It's not like in the playoffs his defense is going to drop off. DeAndre Ian is an elite defender in the league right now. He's getting slept he on. He is, but so is Rudy Gobert, and I think he poses the same problem that Rudy Gobert does. He also I think poses DeAndre the, Ian is better than Rudy Gobert. But he also poses the same disadvantages they both pull. When teams go small ball, can you have That's them out I'm there? Saying. But I think DeAndre Ian can't stretch out the floor. But do you keep him out there for defensive purposes? I think Phoenix can go small, though. I think you could. But that means Jay you're Crowder taking out one of your best players. But Jay Crowder, Cameron Johnson, the thing the thing about the Suns is that they have great to elite defenders all over the team. I mean, you look at the great defenders, CP3, Mikel Bridges, Jaylen, um, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, Dario Saric has been a really great defender this, this season. They have Cameron Johnson, Nader, Torrey Craig. I mean, they have the ability to go small. And they have six players shooting 40% from three this season. And Mikel, Galloway, Nader, Kaminsky, Cameron Payne, and Torrey Craig. And Dario Saric, he's been one of the more slept-on players on the Suns. He's averaging 10 points and four rebounds in 18 minutes. Per 36, that's 20 and eight. And he's giving you really great defense night in and night out. He's a stretch four, so he also stretches the floor. I think they can beat Dallas. They can beat Portland. They can beat the Memphis Grizzlies. They can beat Utah. You said the Grizzlies. No, because I'm saying in oh. the first in the first yeah. round with the second seed or possible first seed, they're going to face the Grizzlies or the Dallas Mavericks. I think the Suns can beat both of those teams. I think the Mavericks would be a closer series, but I think they'll beat them. So their floor is a team that can make it out the, the first round and be a second-round team. If the Lakers are not full strength 100%, I think they can beat the Lakers as well, and I think they can beat the Jazz in the series. Right now, they're the second seed. The third seed is the Clippers. Do I think they can beat the Clippers in the series? I do. I do think so. I think Why you said it three times? <laughs> so, basically, I think the Phoenix Suns can be a team that can, that can fight for an opportunity to go to the Western Conference okay. Finals. I think they can make it this year. It's not, I didn't say he was wrong yeah, for I saying agree that. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't say I, he was bugging for saying that. The only thing I disagree with you on is I would also have the Clippers above them regardless of what happened last year. I think they're a much I, – I don't know if they're a much more talented team. I think they're a more talented team, and I think they have better personnel for playoff series. I have the all healthy. The Lakers and the Clippers are my two best teams in the West. And then from there, I would probably say it's a toss-up between like – the Suns, the Jazz, the Nuggets. I would give a slight advantage to the Nuggets just because I like the the matchup issues that Jokic poses and what they did last year. Murray always lights it up in the playoffs. And like I think that category of teams is in a great spot this year because of the injury concerns with the Lakers and the Clippers, you know, you mentioned it. They still have to prove themselves this year. So <clears throat> I think the the Suns can be a Western Conference Finals team. And if all the stars align, I think they could be a team to make it out of the West. 
But I think they the need West a lot is, to go in their favor in order to have that happen. I think the West is wide open this year. It's wide if the Lakers are if not the, yeah. fully healthy. I would agree. The West is wide open this year. I think that Dallas series would be uh, like I would take Phoenix, but I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas sneaks out of it. Honestly, the reason why I don't think Dallas can beat them is because Mikel plays great defense on Luca. He 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 has played great defense but it, on it, Luka. But 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 you just said, and I'm just going off what you said. You brought up when you talked about the Clippers. You brought up last year in the bubble, right? Based off what we've seen from Luca in the playoffs so far, he's pretty amazing so far. Like yeah. from, from what we've seen so far, so it's like like with Phoenix, it's I feel like with Phoenix, it's like a wait and see. Like you're banking on Devin Booker to, to pull up prime time. We know what Chris Paul is going to do, but I feel like just with Portland, like Damian Lillard, he's a first round master like he always comes in he dominates first round the Portland Trailblazers hasn't been healthy all year they're still starting to get healthy starting to get their guys and they just got in Norman Powell he's still trying to figure it out with um the Clippers the Clippers they've been great all year they've been different they also haven't been healthy all year like the, though them the Lakers Portland haven't been healthy all year Denver we know what Denver Jokic and Murray we know what that two man is gonna p- possess Utah it's like you ah Utah like they're healthy this year, but I think like that, like 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 what Jack said, that Rudy Gobert is going to be a really, pro- it's going to be a problem for DeAndre. I think DeAndre is better if you're talking about offense and defense, but I think defensively, I think Rudy Gobert can really cause DeAndre Aiden some serious problems, and then that's going to put a foot in that because it's going to be like one of your best players is being neutralized in a sense. And then when you play teams like the Clippers and the Lakers, where you can go small ball, yeah, Phoenix can go small ball. But how many guys can you incorporate in that small ball? How deep can you go in your bench to go small ball? The Clippers and the Lakers could run. I wouldn't say the Lakers, but the Clippers could run six, seven guys deep in small ball. Even Serge Ibaka can play small ball. So it's like, how is that going to fit in? Same with Portland. The point that you made about the Jazz and the Suns, the reason why I'm not worried about that is because the Suns don't run their offense through Aiton. So Aiton is not going to get, you know, one-on-one matches. Yeah, he won't. So because of that, I'm not worried about him neutralizing Aiton. Then about the Mavericks, I think even if Luka does perform amazing, one, I think Mikel will uh, hold him in check a little bit because Luka is special. But I also think that the Suns are just a much better team than the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, I agree. Like, no doubt about it. And then you mentioned uh, the the Clippers. I think that the the Suns can play small. I think Cameron Johnson can be can play that small ball um four spot. I think he maybe even five. He's really skinny, which is it's gonna Ooh. be hard to Cameron Johnson. Oh, oh. I think Jay Crowder though can play small ball five. But spot. I think you're playing to the Clippers' strength, and that is the strength of their team, the small ball game. Like throwing out the Kawhi, Marcus Morris, because you, you mentioned how Phoenix was top ten in offensive defense. So is the Clippers. The Clippers are at a historical rate on offense this year alone and three-point percent shooting. So it's like... You said historical rate? Yeah, you can look Over it up. the Nets? You, oh, my gosh. I'm talking about for them, bro. Just just for them. Historical for the Clippers, bro. That's not historical, then. I mean, for it the is for the, yeah, for the franchise. for the franchise. It's historical. You made it sound like it was for the league. Pardon me. I'm sorry. Anyways, like I was saying, so you t- you're, you're, you're taking a team and you're playing at their strength and they could throw out a Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Batum lineup. They can even throw in Pat Bev, one of them. Like Rondo's there now. Ibaka go go small, like I said. You're playing to their strength and they're, they're, they're playing to one of their strengths. I, I don't know if Phoenix is able to do that. No, that's, a, that's what I'm saying. That's a great series. 
You know, I'm not saying the, the Suns are the clear-cut favorite to win that, but do I think they can beat the Clippers? I do. I know that the Clippers have the talent, but the thing about it is that I just don't trust the Clippers. <laughs> I, don't I don't trust them. I don't think I don't think Phoenix could beat the Clippers. If Paul honestly. George does not show up, they cannot beat the Suns. The Suns would definitely be underdogs, but 100%. they could beat the Clippers. I would uh, say. I don't and the think Clippers so. are favorites if the Lakers are not healthy to make it out the West. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. 100%. So if they don't make it out the West, which is a possibility because last year they were supposed to go farther, we'll see what happens. But I think the Suns are going to give them a run for the money no matter what. I would have the Suns, again, in that category with the Jazz and the Nuggets where the the best case scenario for them would be, you know, as much as you never want to root for it, the best case scenario for them would be the Lakers injuries keep nagging and then it's the Clippers conference to lose and I think you still have that stigma of Paul George's performance last year in the playoffs and he's got to show up if they if they want to win. And And, you know, that's something that, I think there's a better chance of him doing than not doing, but it's still something that's got to be in the back of your mind. I, I mean, mean, overall, th- that same stigma of him performing though has to be a stigma for Phoenix of if whether or not the young guys are going to show up. 100%. Like it has, it has to be the same stigma. It has to go both ways. Yeah, because that is the team walking in out yeah. of the top six. We're talking about Portland, them, Utah. Clippers, Lakers, Nuggets. And that's one of the big those are, reasons. That's the least experienced team walking in yeah, out of those top that's, six dogs. That's one of the big reasons why Aside the Suns— I know Chris Paul comes in all that. I know, but the same could have been said for OKC last year. They lost Starting the Shea round. and Lugans Dort. Went to seven games. That is fair. Went to seven games. So I'm just saying, you know, the same thing was said last year, and I think this Suns team is better than that OKC team. Yeah. I, I think when you yeah. have Chris Paul, who's an on-court coach— it mitigates a lot of that experience talk because Chris Paul just knows how to get players ready and in position to succeed. That's true to an extent. I mean, they did play a team that had a Westbrook who's still injured. We know that for a fact. And an MVP in Harden. But this is this is a championship pedigree Kawhi Leonard and Tyron Lue. So they have a championship pedigree coach and a championship pedigree superstar. No offense to Harden. I know he hasn't won that, but it's that it's – it, it matters. Serge Ibaka is coming off a championship two years ago. So that's another. And Rondo, who's coming off a championship last year. These are guys who have championship pedigree. That experience does play a part in your playoff run. So it's. It it's, definitely it's, does. I'm not going to. I'm not nah, going to. It's, it's going to be tough. I, I would say, like, if I had to choose, I would say Clippers in like six, honestly. I would give it a six game series. Yeah, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. But another team that is in the West are the Denver Nuggets. And right now they're on a seven game win streak. And since acquiring Aaron Gordon, they are 6-0. and Oh, we just won. The Bulls? Yeah. So Aaron Gordon, I think what he he's offered a lot to the Denver Nuggets. He's a great cutter. He's a really great defender. He can guard wings and big men and guards. I mean, he's really versatile in the defensive side of the floor. Uh, he can stretch the floor as well, even though he hasn't been shooting well for the Nuggets as of recently. And he can play a point forward role, point forward role when asked to as well. I think he's the perfect complement to Nikola Jokic and what the Denver Nuggets want to run. He's kind of filling that Jeremy Grant void that he left. But I think Aaron Gordon is better at the role that Jeremy Grant was playing last season. I think he just offers a lot of versatility and a lot of defensive versatility to the Denver Nuggets offense and defense. And I love the move. But, you know, for me, I think the Nuggets, I mean, we, we talked about it earlier. I love Nikola Jokic. I think he's a superstar, no doubt about it. 
I love Jamal Murray. I think he's going to ascend into a star player. He's going to ascend. (laughs) This season, he's averaging 21 points per game, a career high. In the playoffs, we know that playoff Jamal Murray is on a different level. He's playing on a different galaxy than everybody else. It seems like when Jamal Murray's in the playoffs, everybody is flying planes. He's flying spacecrafts. That's how great Jamal Murray is in the playoffs. And I like their team. Will Barton, you have Paul Millsap coming off the bench now, and I think that's going to make their bench unit even better. And back to Aaron Gordon. In Orlando, his expectations were to become a star player. I think now he's finally found a place in Denver where he knows his role, he knows what he has to do, and Nikola Jokic is the perfect player to put any player in perfect position on offense. So that's going to help out his game a lot. They're 17-10 and 10 against teams over 500, and me personally, I think that if the Lakers are not 100%, I know last segment we talked about the Phoenix Suns, although I think the Phoenix Suns can make it out the West, my favorites if the Lakers are not healthy, are the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, I, I said it when I mentioned those three teams in that next level. I think the Nuggets are the team that excites me the most outside of the Lakers and the Clippers in the West. Um, we saw them against the Clippers last year. Like They have the personnel to do it. It was just they ran into the buzzsaw of the Lakers, which this year, you never know. LeBron and AD both dealing with injuries. You don't know if they're going to nag throughout the season. But I love the Aaron Gordon addition. Uh, Kevin O'Connor tweeted the other day, Aaron Gordon in Orlando, 64 touches per game, 3.4 dribbles per touch, and .9 points per chance. In Denver, granted a smaller sample size, 32 touches per game. So his touches was cut in half. 1.2 dribbles per touch, so that was cut in half. But he's up to 1.2 points per chance. So while he's taking half the load offensively, he's playing better than he ever did in Orlando and he's been a huge part uh, of their winning since he's came here. He's seven and zero since he joined the Nuggets. The team is seven and zero, I should say. And in that time, he's had the best plus minus on the team. I know it's a bit of a flawed stat, but still, he's making a big impact on winning. And you mentioned it; they lost a lot with Jeremy Grant this off season, and bringing in Aaron Gordon has kind of filled that role that Jeremy Grant played last year. They're expecting less out of him, and I think it is leading to Aaron Gordon playing some of the best basketball of his career. I like the personnel they have, and I think that we could see them as a team coming out of the Western Conference depending on health as we move forward towards the playoffs. (laughs) Fly. Mentality. (laughs) What the hell? Mentality. When you look at it like when you – you talk about the Jeremy Grant edition. You know, Jeremy Grant left. He wanted to be in a bigger role, bigger spot. Aaron Gordon said he wants to win. You know, he wants to be in a winning environment. And you see he walked into Denver. You even saw against the Clippers, Kawhi patted him on the back. He was playing good defense with Kawhi all night, and Kawhi respected that. And a lot of people don't get that out of Kawhi, and that's just the mentality. Aaron Gordon wanted to be in a winning environment. He was willing to take on a lesser role. He didn't care what role it was, he just wanted to be in a winning environment. I think that matters most, and that's why he's been playing well. And if you look at it, a lot of the times Orlando had him in ISO situations, and it was, it really wasn't his game. You know, he's not an ISO guy with the Joker. He's getting a lot of backdoor cuts. He's getting his shots more in the flow of the offense than just trying to force feed, and I think that's what's helped him on the defensive end, give him more energy to play defense. Like you said, he's versatile. He can play. He can guard one through five in this new era of basketball. So I think that's good for Denver, and I think Denver – Losing Jeremy Grant, losing Torrey Craig, losing Mason Plumlee, I think getting Aaron Gordon on the trade deadline was a steal. Hindsight, looking at it now, 
because this is a guy who is versatile, just as versatile as Jeremy Grant. May not be the, you know, he's still his jump shot still looks mad broke, but he may not be the offensive repertoire, but he's still that guy who can get in, get the cuts, get the easy dunks, go back and guard your best player. So I think that's what they needed come playoff time in a, in the West where you got a lot of guys who play on the wing, Paul George, Kawhi, Devin Booker, LeBron. They're going to need those guys to go out there and be stoppers, and I think Aaron Gordon is that guy. You mentioned who they lost. You mentioned Mason Plumley and Jeremy Grant, and those were the only two you mentioned? I think I mentioned Torrey Craig, too. Torrey Craig, too. <clears throat> so... They replaced Jeremy Grant with Aaron Gordon, and I think he's a better version of Jeremy Grant. Even though Grant is having a phenomenal season right now, I still think Aaron Gordon. I think I would, Grant. I think, I think Grant might be a slightly better defender. I think Aaron Gordon is better for this team. Yeah, and they replaced Mason Plumlee with Javale McGee. They also got he hasn't him. played yet, right? Or he just nah, started. I think playing. he has played. I think he has played. I'm not sure if he has or not. But Javale McGee, he's. I think he's better than, than Mason Plumlee at what Mason Plumlee was doing. Mm-hmm. I think he's a better rim protector and defender than Mason Plumlee. And also, you know, I, I think the loss of Gary Harris is going to hurt. But also, Gary Harris, you can't really rely on him to stay healthy. So because of that, I think it won't be that much of a loss. And I think Composite has really come onto the scene. I mean, I don't hit... I'll be laughing at him. On, on the on the on the stat sheet, you don't really see it. He's only averaging like four points per game. This is his assist. A, his efficiency isn't crazy, but even his assists, his assist numbers aren't crazy either. But when you watch the Nuggets games, you can just see that Composo impacts winning. He's always making the right decision, the right pass. He plays with poise and composure. And I think with a team like Denver, they need that. They can go with a two guard lineup with Monte Morris and Composo off the bench, and that that's really good for them. You know, overall, Jokic having a career year, 26-11-9. He's improved immensely, especially in his three-point shot. Jamal Murray having a career year, averaging 21, and he's shooting 41% from three. So he's looking like that playoff Jamal Murray from three. Look at MPJ, 17 points per game, about eight rebounds per game, shooting 54% from the field and 45% from the three, and that's in 40 games. Mm, So it's not in 10, 20 games. MPJ has been the model of efficiency, and I think in these playoffs, you're going to see see Jokic play great because we know what he's going to do. You're going to see Jamal Murray go back to his old playoff form, and you know if we're comparing the top two teams in the West outside of the Lakers, the Clippers and the Nuggets, Kawhi versus Jokic. I think Kawhi wins that by a little bit. By a yeah. little bit. Paul George and so Jamal Murray. I swear to God, bro. If you... we're talking about playoff Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray is over Paul George. So that makes it Denver has the better two than the Clippers. I know that the Clippers have the the, the Clippers have the main brand guys. They have the Poland Springs, but the Nuggets have the market values. It's still the water's still good. They're not name brands. But they are still better, especially for the price and the value. They are better. So the, and then MP, MPJ comes in. I think MPJ is really the difference maker, and he's taken that leap this season into a really solid wing. I mean, what is it going to be next season? Twenty points per game. I hope is so. he going to do that in the playoffs? I mean, MPJ is taking that huge leap, and like I mentioned earlier, I think Paul Millsap coming off the bench is going is going to help them tremendously. <laughs> Just to back up one thing you said, you were talking about. Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic from B-Ball Breakdown. Aaron Gordon has scored 31 baskets with the Nuggets. 
16 of those have been assisted by Nikola Jokic. That's one more than any Magic player assisted him all season long. They suck. It's and it's crazy. been seven games. So no, yeah, Denver is going to be a tough team. That's one of my five best teams in in the uh, in the West. You know, so they're going to be a very tough team. Where do you, where do you have you have them as your favorite? Yes, if the Lakers are not, you have them as your, your favorite. Well, I'm considering the Lakers healthy. Me too. If the Lakers are healthy, they are the third best team in the league to me. You have them at third. In, in the in the West. You have them the at third in the West. I think if the Lakers are healthy, we're probably going to see if the, they don't run into the Lakers in the first round. We're going to see a Lakers Nuggets WCF. But I think I'll say this. I'll say this. I think the gap between the Lakers and Clippers is bigger than the gap between the Clippers and the Nuggets, or the gap between the Nuggets and the Jazz and Suns. Give or take. I mean, I have Denver. Um, (laughs) Murray. Denver is my fifth best team in the West. That would be (laughs) yeah. That's that's my. So you have Utah over them in Phoenix. No, you you Phoenix was my six. Oh, you have. I have Portland. I really. I have Portland at four. Didn't he say Portland at five? No, no. I was a big believer. He asked me who was who was the five teams, and then he threw it. I have Utah at three, Lakers at one, healthy, Clippers at two, Portland at four, and then Denver and then Phoenix. I was a big believer of Portland in the offseason, but they just haven't really like improved to me. Like, I just, to me, they're just the same team they've been for the past few right years. Right offensively, they suck defensively. I just think, like, all, like I think offensively, like, it's – it's it's really just a pick them like who who are you gonna pick Dame or, or the Jokic I, I I would pick Dame in the seven game series I just think people are sleeping on Portland their offense is gonna carry them for most of the playoffs I think only great like elite like playoff time elite defensive teams are gonna really be able to stop them in the seven game series It's a Jokic I know I keep messing up his name Yeah the comments are gonna get after you for that Yeah I know they got after you for that I don't a think, while back No did they really Yeah the, the er, thing about early me in the season No nah, that wasn't me. The, the thing about was. it is no, because the thing about it is that during that segment, I pronounced his name right and I said Jokic, but then later on, as you I'm in the flow Jokic. of talking, I said I said Jokic, but I know how to pronounce his name. I just forget sometimes. <laughs> you know, Riv is still pronouncing Shay as Shy. He's like <laughs> Sha, Sha. No, but yeah, you know, it is Jokic. The comments are gonna get on you for calling Jokic? him Jokic. Jokic. So it's a Y. Jokic. It's like a Y. Jokic. 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 I feel like I say that. What do I say? You say Jokic. Jokic. You say Jokic. With a J. I say it. I feel like that's how it's said it's in America. Jokic. Okay, Jokic. It's Jokic anyway. And Jokic. his name is not um, Nikola. It's Nikola. It's like Nika, it's Nikola. Like, it's Nikola Nikola. N- Nikola like, Jokic. Like a, like a double E, like Nikola. Boy, that name sucks. Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic. Nikola yeah. Jokic. It's not Nikola Jokic. I'm probably not going to remember how long that lasts. Yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not going to last. I'm yeah. telling you right now. That's how it sounds. That's the same That's the same way how you pronounce uh, Vucevic's name. Vucevic. Nikola. Nikola. Nikola Vucevic? Yeah. You got to learn that one. Yeah, no, that's my guy. I'm going to ride him until he leaves. He's the best center in the league. A team that's in the playoff race in the Western <laughs> Conference are the Dallas Mavericks, and it feels like we've been talking about only Western Conference teams this episode because it's because we have. And after the Mavericks lost to the Houston Rockets the other night, Tim McMahon asked Christoph Porzingis, why didn't you take a shot in the fourth quarter? And Porzingis said, good question. It's just the plays we were running. It happened before also. Christos Porzingis had 23 points and 12 rebounds versus the Rockets and did not even get a shot attempt in the fourth quarter, all while Luka had 23 
nine rebounds, five assists, and shot nine for 26 from the field that game Jeez. and a one for nine from the three-point line. And Luka kept taking bad shot after bad shot, and KP was not a part of the offense at all. Do you guys feel like the duo of KP, Kristaps Porzingis, and Luka Doncic are going to work? Do you, do you believe in this duo, or do you think it's time to move on? I think it's been overhyped. Since I think, you know, we all fell in love with the idea of, okay, Luka, Kristaps Porzingis, pick-and-pop player. They, they should work. Like, Luka's passing ability is elite. They should definitely work. But I think with the combination of, you know, Porzingis having limited offense after coming back from his injuries – and not also not being there enough. Rick Carlisle trusting Luka Doncic more to make plays for himself and make decisions on his own than really running the offense to Porzingis. I think it's just been a lot of that. And I I think I don't I wouldn't be surprised if Porzingis is gone this summer. You know, I think this this experiment has gone its course. I don't think it's gonna work. I think with him being injured all the time and him complete this is not his first time complaining. This is not his first time looking you know, down in a in a loss, not really being comfortable with the fact that he doesn't get a ball a lot. So I think he'll be gone this summer. I think they should just look for another option. And luckily they have Luca who's a generational talent, so they're always gonna be good at some point. But this this duo doesn't work. It hasn't worked and it's probably not gonna work down the line. Yeah, I mean I, I think Riv said it in the beginning. We all kind of fell in love with the idea of Kristaps and Luca. And on paper, like it should work out, but to me the biggest thing that has derailed there duo I would say is the injuries just because Kristaps hasn't been in the lineup consistently with with Luka and also since Luka has been in the lineup consistently he's had more opportunities to prove himself and so when it comes down to the big moments of the game like I don't blame Rick Carlisle for wanting to put the ball in Luka's hands like that's your guy I I would give him the shots at the end of the game in a in a tight game so like I I guess I kind of understand Kristaps frustrations because he thinks he's a star player and he deserves those shots. But when you're playing with a guy like Luka, like I'm sure if you go back at Lakers games last year's in big-time fourth quarters, there was times where LeBron took all the shots down the stretch because LeBron is that dude. And sometimes you have to understand there's nights where he's going to get all the shots in the fourth quarter. But you know, I, I don't know how much Kristaps meshes with that role, if that makes sense. I think he thinks higher of himself than not getting any shots in the fourth quarter. And I, I think that that might end up being the demise of this pairing. I also don't know if defensively he's the perfect partner for Luka. You know, like I feel like the Mavericks have been looking to fill that void on the defensive end and Kristaps isn't helping that. But then you also got to look at how would they split them up because Kristaps is still making $30 million plus over the next four years. So like if you trade him, I think you're going to be selling low on his value at this point. Coming off of an injury, he still, I don't think, has gotten back to his peak of what he can be. So I don't know if they end up moving on from him, but I don't think that these two will ever become the pair that we thought they were going to. I think to. John Collins to Dallas becomes more realistic, honestly. You know, uh, for me, when KP was quoted saying this and when I saw the interview, I thought it was more of a shot at Rick Carlisle than at Luka. But also, Luka in the past, when KP has had bad games... Luca has called out KP. Luca has made it known, like, yeah, you played bad and kind of, kind of rubs it in. And part of me thinks that Luca and KP don't get along. You mentioned that everybody fell in love with this duo, and the reason they did is because they're both European. Let's just call it how we see it. 
They're both European players. They're both from uh, Latvia, I believe. Are they really? Yes, I believe they're both from the same place. So are they going to be in the same European? Yes. Uh, if if you could, Jack, you could uh, if you if you could, Jack, I'll fact check you. that for me. I don't want to be you know Wrong. misinform the audience, but I'm pretty sure they're both from Latvia. So everybody wanted this to work, but I do question if Luke and KP like each other. And this situation reminds me of two other stars that came together one time. But it was clear that it didn't work because their play styles just didn't mesh together. And the player that had problems with them actually plays like KP. I mean, actually plays like Luca. And that was James Harden when Dwight Howard went to uh. Houston. This situation reminds me of James Harden and Dwight Howard. Everybody wanted it to work, but their game styles just don't mesh and they just don't like each other. There's <laughs> not a real friendship or relationship. I think Christos Porzingis is a special talent, but in the NBA, your your shine and your spotlight as the baby face kind of sails pretty quickly. Christos in New York, known as the unicorn. Kevin Durant nickname, nicknames him that. He's having a great time in New York. He tears his ACL. He doesn't play in a year. He then goes to Dallas. We see some flashes, but that time, the time where we all were in love with KP and his talent, has kind of sailed. We know the type of player he is going to be now moving forward. We know it. And I think while he is a special talent, he's not as good as he thinks he is. Mm. I do think he's better than getting zero shots in the fourth. He should definitely get some shots in the fourth. Yeah. But I don't think he's as good as he thinks he is. I think the Dallas Mavericks have to construct a team around Luka. And KP is more of a face of four. He does do pick and pops. He can be a role man, but that's not what he really likes to do. He likes the offense to be run through him in the face of game, getting the ball, creating um, shots for himself. That's what he likes. And when you have a ball-dominant player like Luka, that's just not going to be realistic. I think he's he's been a liability for the Mavericks because on defensively, he's not that great. And on offense, while he's good offensively, I think – they can find another player who can do things similar to KP, but also bring in that defensive value. You know, I, I mentioned a trade earlier in the year that maybe KP can get traded to Washington for Denny Advia, uh, Davis Bertans, and a Troy Brown, and maybe some picks. You know, I think Davis Bertans gives you the shooting that KP would have gave you. I think Bertans is a better shooter. Troy Brown gives you a wing defender, and Denny, Denny Advia just gives you a player with tremendous upside and you get a pick. I think with KP, you know, while his value was still high, you could do it. But at this point, I don't know how valuable he is as a trade asset now, especially considering his injury history. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, I just, I don't know how feasible it is to break these two up because of the contract, because of the injuries. And, you know, I don't know how much lower than his value they're going to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think that they would want to give up much in a trade outside of Porzingis, you know, compared to what they would gain, yeah. if that makes sense. So I just don't know if it works out logistically for them to move on from him, but I don't think that this pairing is ever going to be what we thought it was going to be. So Lucas from Slo- Slovenia yeah, and uh, KP's from Latvia. That had made the uh, the little... Uh, they are both European. That had made the World Cup so much sweeter. What World Cup? You know how when they play, like USA plays other countries, it would have been on the same team. But yeah, I mean KP, he's not he hasn't been bad this year. He's having twenty points per game. I just think they don't nine fit. rebounds, one point six blocks per game. 
47% from the field and 36% from three, but you just can't trust KP long-term with his injury history. And I think the Mavericks are would be in a better position if they were to trade KP now rather than keep him and risk him getting injured, which is probably a possibility at this point, and then getting nothing from him and still having a player on a pretty huge contract on your roster. Yeah, and I do wonder, kind of to hit on a point that you made briefly, like I, I wonder if it would have been different if he started his career in Dallas. If he never got to be in New York as the guy, and you remember how it was in New York, like he was he was becoming like a part of New York sports folklore. Like he was a legend already in two seasons because he had started to show a little bit of a turnaround with the Knicks and then obviously the injuries came. But, you know, I think he kind of came to Dallas expecting a similar type of love and, and spotlight, and he never really got that because he was always overshadowed by Luca. Rightfully so. Luca should be the guy getting that love, that adoration, that number one guy treatment. But I think that Porzingis was expecting more of that in Dallas, and he just never got it. And I do think it's affected him in a way. Ja- Dallas just isn't that market. Exactly. And I think what's what's made it even worse is that KP on his way out from New York basically bashed the Knicks organization. And then a year or two later, they're good. They're in the playoffs. And Julius, <laughs> Julius Randle has be, taken your spotlight. To be fair, it's a different organization than it was when It is, but him. still, Julius Randle has taken your spotlight and is, was better in the role that you were in when you were with the Knicks. Because Randle is a defender. He's a shooter. He's shooting 40% from three this year. A better rebounder, a better passer. I mean, Julius is taking a spotlight from KP. And I remember when the Knicks signed Julius Randle, I said, Julius Randle is better than Christos Porzingis. He sucked that and year. Every, and everybody and everybody thought I was crazy. Yeah, Bro, you're talking sucked. crazy. But I said, no, I have a crystal ball in front of me. And I, I saw the future of Julius Randle leading the Knicks to the playoffs. And that's exactly what he's going to do this season. And that's why Randall, when I, I said it when he first got signed, he's better than KP. And now nobody is questioning that take. <laughs> Yo, you're crazy. Because Rand, uh, Randall was good in the Pelicans. I told everybody, watch. He had to adjust one year with the Knicks. He, it was his first year really becoming the man. He had, had, had So, to like, adjust. Tom Thibodeau, yeah, that, I think that has nothing I think it's more to do with it. No, it has something anything. to do with it, definitely. Because I, I really believe if you had the same coach, you wouldn't be where you're at right now. Not th- I think also Julius Randall came into training camp this offseason season. That is very true. Really Which I, I think a lot of that has to do with Thibodeau, honestly. Like, I think that he had the players uh, with a different level of excitement than prior, rightfully so, because the Knicks have not had a coach on the level of Thibodeau. You haven't been the last good since Melo. We're good now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But you haven't been good since Melo. I'm talking about a couple of years before that. Melo actually left, too. Well, we're good right now. That's all that matters. <laughs> we're, we're better than Chicago Bulls, but definitely, I think. I think the Mavericks have split up this duo of Luke and KP. I think the experiment has failed. Not only do their play styles not mesh, but also they seem to not like each other as people. And if, <laughs> if you don't if you don't have that from your two best players, it's going to be really hard to win and go far into playoffs. It rarely works out when your top two players don't get along. It only worked with Kobe and Shaq. And even and that, they're two generational super. It didn't work, but it you know amounted to two chips. Know, they won, but yeah. it end, it ended up going up in flames in the end. I, I mean, if do, it was Luke and NB, that's different. But you got to milk KP. it out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like you're not you're not Shaq. You're not Embiid. You're not a top 15, top 20 player in the NBA. You can't be talking and feeling like you should get the credit of that if you haven't earned it. Luca has earned it. He's earned the right to be a top 10 player in this league. He's earned the right to talk like a top 10 player in this league. You haven't, and now they're going to ship you out. 
We'll see if they do. <laughs> they might not. Yeah, they, I don't they, think they're going to. I don't. I feel I, like they can find somebody. I don't think yeah. at least for like the next year they're going to trade Porzingis. We'll give them Maybe Lori. in a year from now it'll change, but I just think that that contract situation. We'll give them Lori and Thomas Sanaratsky and Thaddeus Young. That's valid. Daniel Tice. No. He's our backup center. He's tough. <laughs> so on to the last topic of the episode. We are going to talk about Donovan Mitchell and whether he should be in the MVP conversation. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the MVP criteria is always changing. Mm. There's a different criteria for the MVP every single year. For many years, it's always been the best player on the best team is the MVP. That's why Steve Nash won two MVPs, because he didn't have the best statistics, but he was on one of the best teams. If we're going by that criteria, there are four players that should be in the we conversation. Should a, we should make a pick a side MVP. Yeah, there are four players that should be in the conversation. James Harden, Joel Embiid, Donovan Mitchell, and Devin Booker. If we're going by the best player on the best teams, those four players should be in the MVP conversation. Where's Giannis? I'm talking, if you look at the top teams, Brooklyn's one, uh-huh. the one seed. Sixers are the second seed. Okay. Jazz are the first seed, and the Suns are the okay. second seed. I don't think it should be that cut and dry, though. But for the most part, it has been for the last couple of years. I mean, when, when was the last time we had a real MVP? James Harden. That was... Wait, so Giannis last year wasn't a real MVP? Nah, Harden should have won it. No, you said the year before Harden should have won it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, look at you. You just... Yo. <laughs> no, yeah, I said Giannis, but, I, but this is what I'm saying. The criteria feels, especially this year, we're really going to know how they're going to vote on this MVP because... Nikola Jokic, I think, is having the best statistical season in the NBA. But they are not winning as much as a Utah, as a Phoenix, as a Brooklyn, or Philly. Embiid would be the front runner if he didn't have his injury. So would LeBron. He would be in the conversation. So right now, the MVP is wide open. And in my opinion, I think Donovan Mitchell deserves to be in the conversation. I mean, neither Mitchell nor Booker have been in the conversation all year. Booker hasn't because the Suns just started to like really ascend and lock into that second seed. But Utah, you have not heard anybody mm. mention Mitchell in the MVP conversation. I don't think Embiid is going to win because of his because of his injuries. Harden won't win because he's injured now and because it's Brooklyn. Yeah. So they're going to hold that against him, and they shouldn't because he should be MVP cut and dry this season. And then the, the next guy it leaves is Donovan Mitchell. So, for me, I mean, I think Mitchell should be in the MVP conversation, and I think the fact that he's not getting talked about enough is kind of ridiculous when it comes to MVP. I don't think Booker should be in the conversation. I think Chris Paul should be more in the conversation than Booker. That's just me, though. You were the same guy that said Booker should have made the All-Star game over CP3, though. I did. Anyways, All-Star games (laughs) is completely different than an MVP. But anyways, like I was saying... um, yeah, you're right. The criteria has definitely changed in the past couple of years. You know, it flip-flops either way because if we're talking about the most valuable players should be LeBron nine times out of ten or, of course, Steph Curry. Duh. But in terms of best player on the best teams, you're right. Donovan Mitchell has to be up there. Mitch Harden's not going to – he's hurt now. He's not going to get the credit. The Joker, his team hasn't been playing good, although they're surging up. You know, they're 7-0, and so they're surging up. So maybe I, – I feel like right now with everybody being injured – the list, in my opinion, comes down to the Joker, Dame, 
Donovan Mitchell. I think those are the three guys. I think Dame and Joker have been dominating longer than Donovan. I think Donovan has been consistently great all year, but I think Dame and Joker has more flashy, highlight reel performances where they've just been dominant, especially when their team, Dame, you see where his team went down with all those injuries. He was putting on James Harden performances. So I think that's great. I think those three guys right now should be the front runners just based off the injuries. I mean, MB just came back, so we'll see if he can catch up. But you're right. The criteria has changed, and it's it's like different. And I think the NBA should make a better job of explaining the MVP or what's the meaning because, in my opinion, I don't think even – I love Steph Curry, but his team's 10th seed. You know, he's top 10 in MVP. I don't think he should get a vote over Donovan Mitchell. You know, he's the best player on one of the best – well, he's the best player on the team that's been the best team in the league all year. I think he should definitely be in the top five. I don't think – Guys who have their team under AFC should even be in the voting, but they've been in the top five, so the MVP race is definitely di- different. But I think Donovan Mitchell does deserve some love. Yeah, well, I think that Donovan Mitchell should definitely be in the conversation, first of all. But the one thing I would say is I don't think – I think winning should play a factor. Like you said, I don't think Steph Curry with a 10-seeded team right now should be in the conversation. But I don't think that should automatically mean that – like you look at the best team and their best player automatically has to be like the MVP front runner. I think we've got to look at like a bunch of different things. And that's why for me, Jokic is the guy right now that I would that I would pinpoint as my MVP just because even though they're the fourth seed, they're still 33 and 18. They're right there on the tail of the Utah Jazz. It's not like they're a middle of the pack team. They're one of the best teams in the West. And Jokic plays such a huge part of that. He is you know, you could look at the advanced numbers, you could look at the, the traditional stats, or just watch them play and see the impact that he has. To me, he's the MVP cut and dry. I think it's helped with injuries. Embiid, LeBron, even James Harden would give strong cases against him. But I think because of the injuries, to me, Jokic is the MVP right now. I don't think it's like, I don't have anybody that I would put right up with him. I think he's the guy for me right now. But I do think Donovan Mitchell should be in that conversation. I think that Devin Booker is creeping into that conversation, but the the Suns got to keep doing what they've been doing. I think they've really hit their stride over the second half after a little bit of a slow start, but I, I agree with you. I think that Donovan Mitchell has been disrespected in the MVP race this year. Yeah, I have Nikola Jokic as my MVP right now because, I mean, it's just hard to ignore the season that he's been having. But the reason why I don't think Mitchell is getting talked about is because the Jazz are so good that it's hurting him. The reason I said is because they have such a balanced attack. They have so many players that excel at different roles that even though Mitchell, you would say, is the best player on the Jazz, you question whether he's the most impactful because Rudy Gobert is number one, is number two in win shares in the entire NBA, only behind Nikola Jokic. And while Mitchell is the face of the Jazz, you know, is he the most impactful? Is he really their most important player? Is he really their most valuable player? And that's leading into this other question. If it's not Mitchell, would you give any consideration to Rudy Gobert for MVP or none at all? I wouldn't personally. <laughs> I would I would definitely. No, that's just funny how Rudy Gobert MVP. I would definitely give consideration to Donovan Mitchell over Rudy Gobert. I think how if, about two? I think if you, if you know, like you can look at the numbers and the numbers could probably tell you differently. I just think if you watch the game, like you watch how Utah plays, Rudy Gobert definitely deserves some love because if you watch, like if you legit sit there and watch a Utah Jazz game, you can see the impact he makes. And I think what people mistake his impact is because they think offense is the only thing that matters. 
And I think that's what's always going to hurt Rudy Gobert. He's not one of those guys who's going to score a lot of buckets in a fancy way or even score a lot of buckets in a regular way. But I think defensively, his impact is so... I think he reminds me of, honestly, a Joakim Noah back when our Bulls, you know, his defensive impact is so huge for that team. There, he's one. He is the reason why they are the number one seed. He's been... Yoke th- and Noah was in the top five in MVP. Exactly. Race. And he only averaged like 13 and 12. Mm-hmm. So it's like, go, go Barry. I, I really honestly think they're not getting talked about enough because nobody likes them. I think nobody likes you. You can even see it in an All-Star game when those two guys are the last two guys picked. I don't think nobody respects Utah enough. I think that's a credit to their fans. Nobody likes Utah fans. I think that's a credit to the fact that Rudy Gobert is one of the reasons why COVID got into the NBA. People don't really like him too much about that. And I think that that team just doesn't get a lot of a lot, a lot of love in the MVP race because people don't respect them enough in the league. And who's, I, who's a I, player that is always going at Utah Jazz fans? Russbrook. What's his name? Full name. Russell Westbrook? No, not him. It's an <laughs> oh. old it's an old time player, bro. Oh, um, and, um, um, I know who you're talking about. Um yeah. Vernon Maxwell. Vernon Maxwell. That's what yeah. it is. He's He's Houston. always talking about Utah Jazz fans um, on Twitter. I think I think you kinda hit the nail on the head. It's just the I way didn't. the team is constructed. I and, and you make <laughs> no, a good point, playing. but I think more so it's the way the team's constructed because Gobert has such an impact with the defense, because Jordan Clarkson is gonna be the runaway sixth man of the year. They have such a nice, well-rounded team that, like, I don't think Donovan Mitchell could ever be to the Jazz what Jokic has been to the Nuggets this year, or Giannis was to the Bucks last year, or what LeBron was to those Cavs teams, what Harden was to the Rockets. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's never going to be a Donovan Mitchell carry job because the Jazz are a very good organization. They're really well coached. They're a great all-around three-point shooting defending team. They have the Sixth Man of the Year. They have probably the defensive player of the year, if not the runner-up in that category. So it's hard to measure his impact against Jokic, who I think does much more for the so Can I ask a question? Why does Kawhi get love and Donovan doesn't? Because Kawhi is more of a household name. Exactly. Yeah, because if they had, they be realistically, Clippers are just kind of the same in terms of a balanced attack. So I feel like, like that's why I feel like it really comes down to like, Nobody just doesn't respect Utah. Like nobody likes because Donovan Mitchell and Kawhi Leonard, we could all agree, have around the same impact on the team in the sense of I don't, the, I don't think so. Well, I mean, in the sense of like they're the best player on their team. Their team is one of the best teams in the West. I think it, Kawhi being so elite defensively kind of gives them the edge. But yeah. if you look at the like the raw numbers, and yeah, how I'm just talking playing, about just raw numbers. It is similar. Like it's season. close. So if the, in the MVP, that's why I, I know Kawhi is over Donovan Mitchell in the MVP conversation, which I don't know why. I think Mitchell should be over him because he's the best player on the best team in the NBA. But overall, I think Mitchell should be in the conversation. And it's going to be, I want to see who wins the award. because it should who, be the Joker. Who wins the award. But NBA yeah. back, so we'll yeah, see. Who wins the award is going to tell a lot about how they are changing their criteria year after year. It feels like every year they're changing it. That's it, because because there's no defined way for the for how they determine MVP. You get what I'm saying? Like every year, it could be something different. It feels like there is a defined way, though. Think so? Yeah, but I I don't know about that. Like you look back at the Derrick Rose year, the year that Derrick Rose won MVP, and say this something is, dumb. This is not on the best team. Exactly. He was also the most impactful guy on the best team. No, LeBron was more impactful exactly. than Miami that year. We, we we was missing four guys, four of our best guys for the majority of the season. LeBron was better, though. LeBron had D-Wade and Chris Bosh all the time. 
Joakim Noah missed time. Boozer missed time. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Joakim Noah missed time. Boozer missed no, time. I remember. I remember yeah. the case. Oh, I've had this argument. Huh? What? <laughs> you just got. What'd you say? Keith Bogus was good. He was Sunday. horrible. This is <laughs> what I'm gonna say. I think the player who changed the criteria a little bit was Westbrook when he won the MVP. While his yeah. team being bad but averaging triple doubles, because he made history, it's different and yeah. it was polarizing. But he's been making history for the last couple of years, and he's not even in the conversation. I think the Joker should get it because he's about to make history as a center. I mean, you want to talk storylines though? That was like the OG storyline MVP. I would yeah. say, like more than any prior, Kevin Durant left. Everybody was watching Russell Westbrook to see how he would respond, and he came out and put up those historic numbers. So it was a combination of those two things. It was just too polarizing. And he led the league in scoring that year too, right? And he led him to the playoffs, and if I'm not mistaken, lost in five. Yeah, yeah, but every all those games were close. Like he, you know, he impacted that team for sure. I don't know if he was the most valuable player that year, but it was a combination of all those things. And now I feel like the award has become so many different factors now. Mm. So it, it's such a hard thing to judge because you don't know how. Every every voter for the MVP is looking at the award in a different way. Yeah, true. I agree with that. So this is going to do it for this episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. It was a pretty fun show, and as always, you guys can find us Three on hours. Instagram and TikTok at Pick Aside Podcast. You guys can follow us on Twitter at Pick Aside Pod, and also... We are now going to be on the Locker Room app. You can follow us. My at name is at Joel V. Moran. Rivers is at River0416. And Jax is at Jack Bartek. We are going to figure out a date where we can go live with you guys and create a chat room and just talk about NBA stuff, whatever it may be, answer questions, or just chat with you guys. We'll try to find a day. And we're, we're really close to having 30 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you guys can... Please review our podcast, uh, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. We read it on the podcast, and we put it on Instagram. So, as always, thank you guys for watching. This is now episode 81, and we'll see you guys next time. This is Andrew Rotondi from the Bronx Pinstripe Show. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my podcast, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, their podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's an amazing platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. So in other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you'd like to be part of the BlueWire investment round or just want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash bluewire. Again, wefunder.com slash blue wire.